Randall, the recording's in progress. I heard. Yeah, I clicked got it instead of leave meeting. Wow. All right, folks, welcome back. It's another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We're talking Chicago Cubs baseball, and this is episode number 37. A quick reminder, we are out on Twitter. Please feel free to give us a follow, interact with us. That is at BTYL podcast. We'd love to hear you. A lot to talk about on the show here. The Cubs are in their final homestand. Just a couple more games to go here at Wrigley Field, and it's the St. Louis Cardinals coming in this weekend for four. John Lester, the 200-game winner, also coming out to Wrigley Field. So lots to chat about there. Also, in losses this week to Minnesota, we had both Jeremy and Randall out of the ballpark. I want to hear what that was like for each of you. I was at Coors Field last night. I got some fun stories to share with you about that Rockies-Dodgers game. We will look ahead, too, to the final road trip for the Cubs. A couple games in Pittsburgh. They wrap up in St. Louis. But a lot to talk about about this current Cubs roster After that, an interesting controversy between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll shed our thoughts on that. We'll make some final playoff predictions, and then we'll go back 20 years and focus on the pitching staff this time in our Ballad of the 2001 Chicago Cubs. So a heavy slate, lots more stuff we're going to talk about that I haven't mentioned, but it's good to see you both this evening. We've got the full crew tonight. The captain of our ship is here, folks. Randall J. Sanders checking in from Morton Grove. Randall, how are you tonight? I don't recall receiving the promotion to captain. Maybe it got lost in the mail, but I'm doing it's a well. Field Ronan. promotion. You. you just got promoted. It's a field promotion, like Riker, like Riker in the best of both worlds, right, Jeremy? Yep. We have Jeremy Specter here, recently nicknamed Snoopy, yep. joining us here on mm-hmm. the show, and it's good to see you this evening. You brought home a Bears victory last weekend. That must have been a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. You know, snooping around Soldier Field like that. It was uh, pretty solid as the Bears were able to hold their own against the Cincinnati Bengals, even with uh, Andy Dalton getting knocked out. But yeah, that was a good time. A good, always good to get that first win and actually an interesting time at Soldier, you know, a little different than I had been in the years past. So uh, it was very exciting to get back out there. Well, I want to end with that again today. That's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, making some predictions for the next Bears game. So if you're burned out on the Cubs, well, one, this is the wrong podcast to listen to, but we're going to end things again here today with a couple of minutes on the Chicago Bears. But Jeremy's here, Randall's here, I'm Ronan. A lot to talk about. Let's uh, just jump straight into it with this current Cubs team. They're coming home, uh, final homestand here of the season Minnesota Twins come in for a couple of games and you're thinking, all right, this is a bad team. Maybe the Cubs can get a couple of victories, get hot before the Cardinals come in this weekend. That has not been the case. The Cubs first lose two of three in Milwaukee. They come home and they are swept in a two game set against the Minnesota Twins. Jeremy, you're out there on the Tuesday night game. So the first game of the homestand, that was a brutal game. And I mean, it took like four and a half hours. So you were out there all night, tough game, Cubs lose, Conor McGregor's in the house, but all in all, not the most exciting night at the ballpark. Yeah, very tough game. And uh, I got out there actually pretty early because I got up there at like, I, I thought I was going to try to beat traffic a little bit on the L, you know, ride out there. It's a 640 start. It's a little bit earlier. So you really get the rush hour on the L at five o'clock. So I'm like, I'll get there a little before five. I thought two hours before game time gates will be open i can get in watch some bp maybe get a dog but no gates weren't open gates didn't open till like 5 10 ish so i was just standing out there and then i'm sitting around but yeah it was a four hour some odd game i did get to see the highlight in Connor mcgregor uh just absolutely botching the first pitch and then just absolutely botching the seventh inning stretch but other than that it was i don't know it was an interesting time it's an interesting time at wrigley these days uh, i was actually a little surprised there was a very large group of 
I would say mid 20 ish age people, maybe a little, some of them a little older than that, that were next to me in the bleachers. And, and I was, I, you know, I, for most of the games I've been to now, it hadn't really kind of had that vibe, but it was mostly empty nowadays. So like, it's kind of been abandoned, nobody really caring, but they were, they were still partying a little bit. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, a, it's, I'm disappointed just because it's, it's ending. It's like, it's over. Yeah. This is my last time at Wrigley. Uh, I wish, uh, I know Randall got another game in this week. I wish you could come back out here running and get a game in as well. I know, I know I'm missing it and it's tough watching it on TV going, okay, you know, you're watching night games going, wow, there's no more of these coming. It's got a couple day games coming up and, and that's just something that stinks when you get to this time of the year. Um, something that's been good though on this homestand, even though they lost a couple of games, Welcome back, Nico Horner. We were not totally optimistic that we were going to see him again this season. And Randall, I think it's refreshing just to get a couple of at-bats in there to see what he can do in the field, getting starts in positions like shortstop. Yeah, absolutely. I've said on previous editions, it's unfortunate that this is a guy you're probably going to be counting on next year, especially if you don't sign a starting shortstop and you are going to lose more development time. He's already missed a fair bit of time. It's good that he feels good enough to get back out there and play and probably start just about every day at shortstop. They'll probably mix Alcantara in there uh, every so often, make sure Nico doesn't re-injure that oblique, but it's good. This is, these are important at bats. However many few of them are left, this is good development time for Nico. And I'm pleased that he's healthy enough to be back. Jeremy, you surprised he's back this quickly. No, I, I thought that Nico would have an opportunity to come back. I'm actually very excited to see him back out there. Uh, I was a little surprised, I, you know, on yesterday or excuse me, Tuesday when I went out to the game, I, I was very happy to see him out there uh, playing at shortstop. And and I hope he gets pretty much every start. I mean, it's only a week left uh, or 10 days or so. So, like, uh, there's not going to be a ton of time for him to get, you know, I, I think he should be able to get, if he's healthy, just put him out there every day, see what we really have out there. So it, it's exciting. He had a... At the game round one, two, he had a nice rip for a, a, an RBI or I think it was a two RBI single um, ripped right up the middle. So he I'm, I like Nico. I'm a big Nico fan. I just am a little worried now about the future of Nico and his health because it's been, you know, he's kind of been hurt all year long um, and, and he's had some issues. So I hope this doesn't become a, re- a recurring thing over his career. He has had a lot of recurring issues. The hamstring, he's had the oblique. He was injured in that bad collision with Ian Happ early in the season. And like you said, hopefully this doesn't become a a recurring thing with him where he's missing three, four, five weeks at a time every year with hamstring injuries or with oblique that he tweaks on a swing. Ronan, Jeremy, we've all been watching baseball a long time. The history of the game is littered with players who had a lot of potential, but simply couldn't get over being constantly injured. And I'm not putting that label on Nico. This is one season. And again, it's a season after which he played a short season last year. Hopefully it doesn't become a recurring thing. It's just nice to see him back out on the field. And I don't want the Cubs to go into next season with the hope that he's the starting shortstop. I think they need to go out in free agency or via the trade market. And they need to get a major league shortstop into this team for next season. But I think he's going to be an everyday player. And I think with the DH very likely coming to the National League, with the fact that you could throw him in center, he's going to get playing of at bats, assuming that he's healthy. So just the fact that he gets, they got 10 games left this season, you know, four at bats a game. If he can get somewhere between 35 and 50 solid plate appearances here over the next week and week and a half, 
that'll be good for him. That'll be good for his development going into the winter. And then you just hope that there's no labor issues that impact spring training and he can have a traditional spring training next year. But we'll worry about that in February. For now, it's just good to see him back on the field, even if the expectation maybe isn't that he's going to be the everyday shortstop next year. Yeah, and you know, as we've talked about, but it's interesting with Nico and also Madrigal uh, as well, both are going to be coming kind of off of injuries going into next season. So I, I agree with you, Ronan. I, I think that the Cubs really do need to uh, shore up that middle of the infield a little bit. Uh, I don't think you can go into next year counting on, I, I know next year is probably not going to be a super competitive year. I don't think you can go into it really counting on Nico and Madrigal as you're up the middle guys. So I, I would hope that, you know, they would go out and make a play for a Corey Seager or somebody to come in and play shortstop. And you can move Nico around, as you mentioned, I think, I think, you know, he's got a, a decent line drive stroke. He, he might grow into a little bit of power, not a ton of power, but you know, and he's an athletic enough, I think to play various positions. So, you know, I, I know you like a uh, secret Ronan. I'm a big secret yeah. guy as well. So hopefully they can make a play and, you know, do shortstop, do some uh, starting pitching. And that's your off season. Hopefully. Well, I saw Seager last night. I'll yeah. talk about that here in a minute, but what do you got Randall? You know, uh, uh, acquiring Madrigal in the, the Kimbrel trade. And we'll, we'll get into Kimbrel a little bit later. I have some questions for you guys about Kimbrel, but acquiring oh. Madrigal in the Kimbrel Kimbrel trade, I think is going to change the trajectory of Horner's career probably for the rest of his time as a cub because i think he would have been an excellent starting second baseman he's at best i think an okay shortstop he's got the range he doesn't have the arm we're used to seeing from Baez. then that's going to change the trajectory of his career if you hadn't acquired madrigal i think they would have slotted in nico as the starting second baseman until he proved he either could or couldn't handle it anymore and now there's i think a very real chance that he ends up being kind of a, a zobris type with a little less patience at the plate where he's getting four starts a week, but some is a second, some third, some center field. So that, that changes the trajectory of his career. And that's, that's uh, a big move uh, for his career. He was, you know, he slotted to be the starting player and now he's probably going to move around a little bit. We've got all off season to speculate about who's going to be playing where um, one thing that's been a bummer. We got all this excitement about Nico Horner coming back is Alfonso Rivas. His season's done. We just saw a little bit of him about 40 plate appearances, showed us some power, home run, a double, uh, uh, some walks. Like he's looking like a pretty good ball player. This is a bummer that his season gets cut so short. It would have been basically doubling what we've seen of him here over the next week and a half. And just like that, it's over with a finger injury. Very disappointing, you know, kind of him and, and uh, also Hermosillo, two guys, you know, you're calling up mid season from Iowa, yeah. maybe to show you something. And then they're both out for the year. Uh, with injuries, but Rivas, you know, you, you were kind of excited to see him. You were excited to Ronan. You've been talking about him kind of since July, you know, yep. coming up and you wanted him to be that line drive hitter, kind of almost kind of like Nico, probably a little more power than Nico, bigger guy, you know, going to play more of a corner position. Um, but, uh, you know, to go out with a, a finger injury is just very, it's disappointing. And unfortunately this is the time, you know, you really want to see some guys, so they can go out and develop and also show you, you can scout them a little bit more to see what they're like in major league setting. And it's unfortunate to not be able to have that chance going into next season. Yeah. This is key development time lost for another player who might have played a considerable role. We've said previously, I've said previously, I think Rivas had played himself into a solid bench position for next season, a guy who can play first in the corner outfield, who capable of giving you a great at bat, especially off the bench, He's got patience, ability to make contact, a little bit of doubles power. And again, the Cubs used a similar offensive player in Tommy Lostella to good effect in their most productive years. And again, this is more development time. 
And that this is something that could affect the Cubs plans at first base, because I think there was and remains a non-zero chance that they go into next year with a, a Schwindel Rivas platoon at first base. And I hope that's not the case, but again, this is another 10, 11, 12 games of development for Rivas. They're not going to get, and that might alter their plans. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the platoons because that's one platoon that I'm actually maybe most receptive to. I think there comes of a couple of options of where they can platoon guys. There's multiple options they can do in the outfield, but I would like to see them spending money. The starting rotation needs money, significant money thrown at it. I think shortstop needs money thrown at it. I'd like to see him go get a third baseman as fun as Patrick wisdom has been this year. I don't want him to be the everyday guy going into next season. So just in the hierarchy of where you are platooning guys, that's one I'm kind of in on. I like the Schwindel, Rivas, give it a chance. Let's see how that goes. And it's not like you can't get a first baseman midway through the year. There's always somebody that you can go and upgrade with there. So that would be low on my priority list, I guess, this offseason. Ronan, I know you're a big CJ Crone guy. I'll, I'll be sitting there <laughs> reading a book quietly. My, my phone will ding. And there's a text from you out of nowhere. CJ Crone starting first baseman for the Cubs next season. It's like, okay, did, did we ask? But well, that was pre Rizzo leaving. I'm like, this guy's going to be on the Cubs next year. And goodness, it might things, actually happen. Things change, right? Um, I, I would also be very conditionally okay with a Schwindel Rivas platoon at first base, but you would have to guarantee me that they're going to spend a whole lot of money elsewhere. And I don't know that any of us quite have that faith in the Cubs right now. So like you said, on the hierarchy of needs, you have what is probably a decent first baseman if you combine the two, but you're going to have to spend elsewhere to really make up for what could be a, a difficult production at first base if the two of them don't live up to what you think they're going to. So you could convince me of it, but you would need to spend a lot of money elsewhere to convince me of it. I, I, I kind of agree with you, uh, Ronan. I, I also was kind of open and receptive to a Schwindel uh, Rivas uh, platoon next year. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing, you know, uh, Rivas, they complement each other pretty well. I mean, Rivas doesn't have the power that Schwindel has, but Rivas walks a little bit more and both, you know, they could put, uh, they both are able to put the bat on the ball, have good contact skills. So, and, and they both kind of have proven themselves defensively. I think they could be solid defenders over there. So I, I would also, you know, I, I would have liked to seen uh, some for Rivas to, to show that maybe that is something we could go into next year. Cause I don't expect the Cubs to really be a playoff contender next year. I hope that they're a lot better than they were this year. I hope that they start to make the moves to make, put them in position to be, uh, contention, but as you know, there's just so many holes on this team. And yeah. if, if you can get a Riva Schwindel, uh, and they're able to provide anything, you know, uh, I think if you're, you're you got to fix your starting pitching, as you said, I, I think that's by far the number one goal. I hope they do something middle, middle infield, you know, we'll see what they all do. So if you can go into next year with a, a, a Riva Schwindel and feel somewhat okay with that, I, 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 I would be receptive to that. Well, before we move on, and I want to hear all about Randall's trip to Wrigley last night, uh, I would be remiss to not mention Patrick Wisdom. He did it. He broke the Cubs' rookie home run record. He belts number 27, and that puts him in front of Chris Bryant, who had it at 26 home runs back in 2015, rounding out the top four for the Cubs, Billy Williams and Ian Happ for single-season home run records for the Cubs as rookie players so, hey, tip your cap to Patrick Wisdom. He didn't make his debut this season until May 25th, and he takes a new record from one of the greatest Cubs players of all time there in Chris Bryant. That's pretty cool. Yeah, two of them. Uh, Billy Williams, too, knocking yeah, out. Yeah. I mean, I know Chris already knocked out Billy Williams as well. 
but uh, you know, he, Patrick Wilson will always will be in Cubs history until somebody knocks him off the top. Hopefully, sooner than rather than later. You know, maybe a Brennan Davis can come in, in a year or two, but he'll probably come up mid season. Well, he'll still yeah. be perhaps have rookie eligibility, but uh, can knock him off. But uh, I, I assume he'll get one or two more. Maybe he can get to thirty and make it a tougher push. But it's disappointing for you and me, I think, uh, Ronan, mm-hmm. in that we saw Chris Bryant do that. That was a fun night, oh, a very yeah. fun night we had. And now we're not going to have that moment. I mean, it'll still be a special moment, but it's Patrick Wisdom's moment now, and neither of us saw that. No, no, but it happened in Miller Park or American Family Insurance Park where Chris Bryant hit his first career home run. So it's interesting. You know, you play division opponents. You have these things that occur in these ballparks, but there's these connections that – high players from different years and different generations and different eras that I think is very cool about the sport of baseball and more to see, man, we've got a whole nother generation of first career home runs coming for some Cubs hitters. A lot of them are in the minors, the low levels of the minors too, but I think that's going to be a lot of fun to see the next three or four years, but I, I can't wait anymore, Jeremy. I need every detail. I've been waiting for this for two days. Randall J. Sanders made his triumphant return to Wrigley Field, the friendly confines last night. You were at a game back in April or so, and you got to one here on the final homestand. Randall, I know it wasn't the outcome that you wanted, but something that I've noticed here in this show, you're a little raspy today. I got the mm-hmm. hunch you were doing some yelling at the ballpark last night. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. My voice is fine. I, I worked to not uh, exert my voice too much last night, knowing I needed the golden pipes for tonight's edition of Behind the Yellow Line. But that, that ninth inning, the umpire was, was pissing me off. Jeremy tried to tell me a lot of those were strikes. I told Jeremy, no, no, no. I was in the ballpark. My opinion counts more than the umpires. Uh, yeah, I did some shouting at the umpire. You texted me during that ninth. You said, Randall, are you spirited in that way that you, Randall, you spirited? And, you know, I said, I'm a little shouty. Um, and I, I was, I was going to text you back and said, okay, I'm a lot shouty. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a little chilly out there. I was hoping to see a win. Um those are in short supply for the Cubs right now. So I was hoping to see a win. The Cubs almost did it in that ninth inning. And I felt the umpire took away what would have been a key base runner. Uh, yeah, it was a little frustrating in that ninth, but it's, it's always good to be back at Wrigley. I had hoped that in going on this final homestand, you know, I looked at the conditions courtesy of our friend Alexander, and we'll get his report later on. I looked at the home, the weather, cool, breezy, uh, partly cloudy. I said, look, it's going to be perfect. I know baseball is a summer sport. I like baseball in the, the cool, the cool fall conditions. It's so much easier to dress so much easier to dress warm and layer than it is to keep yourself cool at the ballpark. I love the, the fall sunsets uh, where you get the, the low clouds and the sun reflecting off of them, turning a bunch of different colors, perfect conditions for me for the ballpark. So unfortunately the game sucked because the Cubs can't beat the twins and neither team is very good. I don't know what I expected, but the conditions were perfect for me. I love going to the ballpark on a cool fall night. How many layers you got on? Or did you I had, uh, I had two layers on. I was, uh, I was a, I only two. I was a little bit cold. I've been to much colder games. I've been to games that dropped down into the low third. I'm sorry, the low forties, the upper thirties last night was not nearly that bad. We hovered in the high fifties the whole night. I was okay. It was a little chilly, but I was fine. So what really? were the two layers? Do you have Jersey and like something over that? I had a base layer and I had a pullover on. What was the base layer t-shirt? No, the base layer was a base layer. I don't Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how best to describe I, I think it. It's you're, a, I, I think a long you're sleeve, a long sleeve base layer. You think I was underprepared? I was yeah, comfortable well, I saw, enough. I saw well, you said you were cold. Report. I said I was a little chilly. I didn't say yeah. I was cold. There's a difference. There's a difference to me. You were a little chilly. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, Randall, you did have a tweet last night to someone where you used the F word, Ooh. freezing. You said it's freezing up here. So I'm a little bit confused by you saying that it isn't cold. As you, know, you shake your head at me. I don't recall that. I do remember saying it Because you were so cold. cold. You didn't know what was going on. No, that must be. That must be. The temperatures, <laughs> the temperatures reduced the memory ability. And I don't recall telling someone it's freezing. So, Honestly, again, it was it was chilly, but I've I've been in worse conditions. I survived. No frostbite. So you went in, in April and then you made your triumphant return, as Ronan said, back in, in September. Uh, a little different, you know. So how was the differences in the ballpark to you over those six months? Well, boy, Jeremy, a whole lot of differences. When I was there in April, it's funny. The weather was nicer in April than it was in September. It was a very pleasant night that night, upper 60s. Uh, in April, the ballpark was still at 25% capacity. And last mm-hmm. night, the ballpark was uh, still at 25% <laughs> capacity, but for slightly different reasons. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the ballpark was enforced at 25% back in April last night. It was just empty because no one wants to see this team. So that that's a big thing that stood out to me, April. Um, yeah, you had the seating in pods, as you both know, you were there at Wrigley at that point in time. So you had the pod seating where people, you'd see five people in a row and then there'd be distant, you know, a little more haphazard last night, dotting lines, some sections full, some sections not. So that's, that's different. And uh, if I, I do regret that I wasn't able to get to Wrigley this summer when the team was at least entertaining and the ballpark was full, because I think that would have been fun. So who knows, based on the team, who knows when the ballpark will be actually full again uh, to, you know, aside from opening day. So that was the big thing that stood out to me is the team's just undergone so many changes between April and here. Everybody, just about everybody who is in that lineup uh, in April is, is gone. And that uh, that didn't really occur to me last night, possibly Ronan, because I was so cold, according to you. But freezing, uh, yeah, freezing, according to some. Uh, According to you, apparently. No, not according to me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that that's the big thing is the the ballpark, the the crowd, very different vibe. The team, very different vibe, very different lineup. And it didn't really occur to me last night, but it's occurring to me now as you ask me just how much has changed in the last five months since I was last at Wrigley. Well, you still, okay. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you still had your Nico. You still had your Ian Happ. You still had some guys. You got to see Kyle Hendricks uh, just blow it again as yeah, he's Nico, done all last two months. Nico may not have been up for the first time this season. Oh, that's true. You're there. right. That's right. Because that was on the first homestand April. that I was there. So I didn't even see Nico last time. Well, Randall, you got a really nice photo, a good set of photos, actually, the sunset. Um, it just looked like a beautiful night. I know it was chilly. I saw the waves earlier in the day on Lake Michigan were messing with people that were on the bike path, should have been on the bike path. But just from a visual standpoint, Wrigley Field, September, it's just a little bit different. And we've talked about this on the show. The fun thing about baseball, particularly in a place like Chicago, is the ballpark evolves with the season. You're at the ballpark in April. The Ivy isn't blossomed yet you know you see you can see the brick walls out there the season goes on and when you get to september fall's coming winter's coming you can feel it i like your sunset pictures though those were nice and folks that are out on twitter at randall j sanders yep take a look at it a very very cool set there you had the perfect vantage point too you're in the upper deck you're near the press box those are the seats in the ballpark to be at and you were in the right ones by design ronan by design i said i want me some good sunset picks so I picked some seats on the first base side that uh, I could have gone a little further down the line, but I liked, I liked where these were at. And again, a moment of silence for the seats under the press box. Those, those are my favorite seats yeah. for the, for the value. And now it's club seating. You can't even walk through there, 
But yeah, I picked those by design because I had hoped there would be a, a good sunset to see. And so there was. So even though the game was not particularly good, the ballpark shows out as it always does. And, and I want to piggyback on that, Ronan. I, I think for anybody listening that doesn't already, they should definitely go on Twitter and search at Randall J. Sanders just to see those picks. They're very nice picks. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, to, and give them a follow as well. Absolutely. And give us a follow at BTYL Podcast. Um, Randall, so a tough night. You know, it probably felt a little bit nostalgic to you, the fake rally that the Cubs put together in the ninth inning. You've seen more than a dozen of those over the years going to the ballpark. That's sort of the Cubs experience in the down years here. They give you a little bit of optimism at the end of the ball game before they crush your heart one more time and send you home with a loss. Uh, yeah, some great nostalgia for 2012, 2013 in there. It was good nostalgia because you had Derek Lee there. That's right. Derek Lee, you know, I could see the press box. It's a very large human. Derek Lee still is. And his uh, his daughter sang the national anthem. And Derek Lee, very smart man that he is, as soon as he started singing the stretch, he handed his oh. microphone off to his daughters. And he sang just the stretch. Them. Yes. I see. His, his daughter, I'm sorry, his daughter sang the national anthem. I may have misspoken a second ago. His <laughs> daughter. Twice. Yeah, so his daughter. Anthem? She, yeah, his she did daughter. The anthem. Okay, his oh, daughter. Wow. Yes, his young daughter sang the national anthem, and How then he, his daughter, mm-hmm. his daughters were in the booth with him as he sang the stretch. He sang the first couple lines and then just handed his mic off to his daughters and let them take it the rest of the way. So that's a very smart man. Give the give the crowd a uh, a better singing experience. Well, that's one of your guys, though, Randall. I mean, in terms of your fandom and when you really fell in love with this team, Derek Lee was a big part of many of those teams there in his time in Chicago. In 2005, I don't think people realize how incredible that season was for him when he won the batting title in the National League. But I was happy for you, Randall, because when you think about the handful of guys that I would say, these are Randall's guys. Carlos Sombrano's in that mix. Derek Lee's in that mix. And then, you know, your, your Soriano's, your Aramis, but D Lee's right up there at the top. So I'm glad that you were there when he had that big moment on the field. And even though it wasn't a full house, he got the credit, hopefully, that he deserves for everything he's done as a Cub. Absolutely. Derek Lee, a, a great player, an underrated Cub, and real big in a lot of my formative years as a fan. So it, it's great to see him at the ballpark getting honored throwing out a first pitch, singing the stretch versus some vapid celebrity with absolutely no connection to Wrigley. Uh, I'd much rather see Derek Lee than anyone like that. Uh, you, you didn't want to see Conor McGregor wolf a pitch. Like, you, uh, you know, knowing, knowing the, the first pitch throwers and the seventh inning stretch singers ahead of time may have influenced my decision a little bit. Like, wow, do I go see Conor McGregor or do I go wait a day and go see Derek Lee? That's not much of a choice to me. Wow. Um, but also on Derek Lee, uh, you know, Derek Lee also was probably there just absolutely. I know for all of us killing uh, young Randall's heart, stomping on it, stomping on all of our hearts. Oh, in yeah. 2003 game six Bartman game, Derek Lee with the big double. So, you know, I could imagine there was a young Randall who fallen in love with the Cubs, having his heart stomped, who was probably saying some similar things about Derek Lee that current Randall was saying about Ryan Braun last week. You know what? Uh, I don't think I could really form words those nights in 2003. I think it was just kind of emotion, emotional utterances. So Derek Lee, uh, I would say, escaped my individual wrath. And, you know, I don't even remember the Marlins. The who? They, they put a team in Miami. Who, whose idea was that? The, he's been a cub his whole career, as far as I'm concerned. He liked the nickname Dealey. 
He didn't like other nicknames that certain Cubs managers tried to force on him. This Rodan. is a little prelude to, to the uh, 2001 segment. We're talking about some dysfunction in the Cubs clubhouse. Uh, Dusty really tried to force the Godzilla monster on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just said it, Jeremy. Was it Rodan? Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I believe it was Rodan. He's like a big right, light. Yes, Rodan is, Rodan is what Derek Lee uh, the, the name that Dusty tried to force sorry. on. Yes, Rodan's a big pterodactyl monster. Those of you not familiar with Godzilla movies and Dusty tried to make that nickname stick as a result of Derek Wee's wingspan, mm-hmm. which he had. He had a considerable wingspan, great reach. But yeah, I don't think Derek Lee was a big fan of being nicknamed Rodan. I think he was good with just D. Lee. I remember a quote and maybe I'm misremembering after all these years, but I remember him basically saying like, yeah, I, I don't want to be called that. Like, yeah, let's stop it, that right now. Like, he went like, to the video with that and was like, nah, that's, that's nothing that I want to be. I think D Lee works just fine. Yeah, but he, he was an awesome cub. Awesome. Died, awesome cub. That died in like uh spring training of 2004 yeah. <laughs> when Dusty was there and D Lee came over and Dusty, but also I, I would like to point out that uh I believe the daughter, I'm not sure. I, I believe it was the daughter that sang national anthem was, was probably also the daughter that had was misdiagnosed with a eye uh i believe disease or whatever and Derek lee raised a whole bunch of money for that mm. and fortunately uh she uh was misdiagnosed and so I, i'm sure you know but she was out there singing the national anthem and i and i, I believe d lee still continued to raise money even after that for that uh particular he started his own foundation and that own, that cause well got me thinking about how nice it is to see these guys from the mid 2000s coming back to the ballpark. I don't know if either of you saw it. Cubs video productions put something out last week or two weeks ago, Giovanni Soto and Aramis Ramirez returned to Wrigley field. Did either of you, they put together about a four, four and a half minute video. Did either of you see that video? I did not see the video. I do remember okay. them being back at the park. I, I saw them throw the first pitch. I, I don't know if I saw the video. So the video was on Twitter or YouTube. I saw it somewhere. It's pretty short. It's like four or five minutes, but it was sort of behind the scenes with the two of them and a brief interview on the field as they were preparing to throw out the first pitch. And a couple of things were pretty funny about it. First of all, Soto was completely blown away by how much Wrigley Field had changed. I mean, he was giddy in the dugout. He went to the clubhouse. He's like, I just want to go back into that clubhouse. You wouldn't believe what we had versus what the Cubs players have now. Um, Aramis was talking about the video boards. It's just the ballpark has changed so much since those guys were last in there. But there was a moment that I thought would be very interesting to both of you. Somebody off camera asked Aramis, hey, do you talk to Marmel? Have you seen Marmel recently? He said, yes. He said they live about an hour from each other. He's doing well. And the person off camera basically insinuated, let's get him back out to Wrigley. Like, we'd love to get him back out to Wrigley Field. Aramis goes, nah, he doesn't like to travel. So I don't know that we're going to see Carlos Marmel, but it was cool to see that name pop up that he and Aramis are still talking to each other. I know it didn't end well for Marmel in Chicago, but when he was on that slider was absolutely filthy. And I, it's just happy to hear that the guy's doing all right. And he's fine all these years after being a cub. Well, I, I understand why Marmel might not want to travel. He might aim for Chicago, but end up oh, in Milwaukee. Brutal. I'm Harsh. sorry. Brutal. I'm sorry, Carlos. Harsh. I'm sorry. Ronan is, of course, correct. When Carlos Marmel could uh, throw the ball where he wanted, he was absolutely unhittable. Huge part of those 2007, 2008 teams. And it is here, good to hear he's doing well. It's interesting to see uh, them having these guys come back a little bit off those 07, 08 teams. Uh, you know, uh, I imagine it. D. Lee uh, and Aramis will probably they'll probably try to have him back for the next edition of the Cubs Hall of Fame or pretty soon, you know, so maybe it's a setup for that. Well, you know, I don't know where these 2001 Chicago Cubs are. It's 20 years, Tom Ricketts. Let's get Rondell White back get, out. Get of the Fred park. McGriff back out there. 
Gardner Griff never wanted to be there. I know. Where is Ricky Gutierrez? <laughs> I would Poor. love to know where Ricky Gutierrez is. Uh, Matt Stairs, who who popped up today. I well, saw we know that. where Ron Coomer is. And well, we at least we know where Ron Coomer is. We're going to talk Cubs pitching here in 2001 in a little bit. There's some names on that list. Kyle Farnsworth. That's a guy who deserves to throw out a first pitch well, at Wrigley Field. I'd be happy to cheer for Farnsworth. Kyle Farnsworth making some waves on Twitter recently, so I don't know if they're going to be bringing him back. I, I'm not aware of this. What uh, What's he been up to? Oh, uh, he was calling out. Uh, I think he called out Trey Mancini. Well, he denied he was specifically calling out Trey Mancini, but it very much seemed like he was calling out Trey Mancini for being for not playing in a in a couple games uh, because he was too tired or something or like. You know, it was like he, he was sore or something. General soreness, I think, was the phrase the Brandon Hyde used to sit Trey Mancini. And then Kyle Farnsworth put out a tweet being like, now we got players sitting for general soreness. Like, what is this BS? Back in the day, we'd play every day. And then people were like, that's Trey Mancini just came back from cancer. And then he tweeted out like, I wasn't talking about Trey Mancini. And they're like, <laughs> well, Brandon Hyde literally used the phrase that you use. So it was a whole big, you know, back and forth with Farnsworth denying that he wasn't talking about it was it was crazy the people also pointing out that as a relief pitcher kyle farnsworth also did not play every day right so maybe not the most informed statement on the part of uh farnsey ronan real quick ricky gutierrez is currently the manager of the double a chattanooga lookouts wow awesome awesome i'd love to see him get back to the show yeah we should see uh we should go down see a tennessee smokies chattanooga lookouts game unfortunately the season's over it's just nice to hear where some of these guys are and we will talk 2001 Cubs in a moment. Um, but I don't think that would prohibit Kyle Farnsworth from making a return to no. Wrigley in the next couple of years. And I'm looking forward to it. There's just so many guys that are part of our memories. They had moments, they had stretches where they were hot. They helped the Cubs win ball games and um, we'll celebrate them. But it's been cool to see these guys from the mid two thousands, Giovanni Soto, Ramos Ramirez, uh, you know, Giovanni Soto, that 2008 season, so memorable, hitting home runs, doing it from the backstop position. That was very, very fun. And that team, team could have won a World Series, Randall. We could be celebrating the 2008 Cubs forever. It just didn't work out in a short series against the Dodgers. But goodness, that team was stacked top to bottom. James Loney. Ryan Dempster yeah. couldn't help giving up a grand slam to James Loney. Those, those two sweeps, 2007, 2008, those were just gut-wrenching and especially 2007 because that d-backs team was a bunch of horse shit oh they had, <laughs> they had a negative they had a negative run differential oh, man. that d-backs team had a negative run differential and the cubs ended up getting swept by them that just, just it, it, it pissed me off at the time and many years later after so much has changed after we've seen the cubs do so much and so much better it still pisses me off that the cubs play this team that plays snake noises in their giant airplane hangar ballpark out there in the desert with a negative run differential all the snakes hissing about the will to win and we just know how to win and the cubs couldn't win one game in that series no i'm not i'm not still bitter why are you asking carlos marmel was a huge part of that collapse there in 2007 when uh i believe when uh uh, pinella pulled zambrano early in the game save him for save him for later in the series yeah right pulled him after like the seventh inning brought marmel in who was the balls all season dominant and then marmel gave it up you know, there's a couple of their images from, I guess, 2007 that, that stand out to me. Really, the glove slam. The glove I think slam. remember that. But, well, Dick Stockton, or the what was left of Dick Stockton, <laughs> called those games just The Chicago Cowboys. Strange. He kept calling them the Chicago Cowboys. <laughs> I, I liked Ad- but, Adolfo Soriano. 
I think you're going to remember this, Randall. Do you remember during that series, the games in Phoenix, there was a fan behind home plate that had like some type of a neon clock or they had something in their hands. And it like, look, there's obnoxious fans that sit behind the plate games, particularly playoff games. This was a whole new level. And they got that stupid thing in Arizona where the seats behind home plate are kind of down in the field. They're just very prominent on the camera instead of a beautiful brick wall like other ballparks. I will never forget that jackass with the clock. That Dick Stockton, the Diamondbacks hitting home runs, really bitter couple of days there that October. And, and that one still burns a bit. It, it was losing to a bunch of circus clowns is what yeah. it was. Losing to a bunch of, it would have still been purple and purple and teal at the time. Losing to a bunch of circus clowns is what it was. Or maybe they had switched to the, the red. By I, you're right. They'd probably switched to the red that, at that point. So losing to a bunch, I beg your pardon, Diamondbacks, Sedona red and sand <laughs> clowns. Same, different colors, same designation. Clowns, circus clowns. Wow. Well, Randall, you talk about the circus. I was at the circus last night. I went to Coors Field. So you were out at Wrigley Field. I went to Coors Field. It was Rockies Dodgers. I wanted to see that. Wanted to get at least one more game. And I'm on the fence about getting out this weekend. The Giants are in town. KB is going to be here. That could make it's also Larry Walker weekend. Fireworks Friday night. They're retiring his jersey Saturday. So I'm figuring out, okay, what might work for me this weekend? Hopefully I can get out and see one more game. But I wanted to go last night because one, the Dodgers are good. And two, two of the best pitchers in the National League were going up against each other. And I thought, what else do you want to do for $12 on a Wednesday night? Walker Bueller, Herman Marquez. If you don't know Marquez, it's one Rocky starting pitcher that you should look at. And I would love somehow for the Cubs to find a way to get him in their rotation next year. He's a very, very good performer, particularly that he's got to play in this ballpark. But I'm thinking, okay, Bueller, Marquez might see a decent pitching matchup. But then you got Coors Field, which is the great equalizer. Neither pitcher got to the fifth inning. 15 total runs scored in the ballgame. Rockies win 10 to 5. It was a very crazy night at the ballpark, though. They announced the crowd at 27,000. There were closer maybe to 20,000, mostly Dodgers fans. And good Lord, Randall, Dodgers fans like to hit the bottle. There were people that were absolutely hammered at that ball game last night. I mean, in droves, droves and droves and droves. There were Dodgers fans in face paint, blue and white paint, to a Wednesday night September game in a half-empty ballpark in an opposing city. Uh, I, I used the night as a chance to kind of rove around the ballpark. I got tickets for under 15 bucks. It was like $12 with fees just to get in the ballpark. I started in le- uh, right field behind Charlie Blackman. I ended up in center field for a while, ended the night in left field. But it was wild, man. There were a couple of near brawls. At one point, a Giants fan showed up, and the Dodgers fans were getting pissy about it. Not sure had to intertwine with them all. But just chaotic. Very fun. Uh, Rockies pulled it off. But it, it's just something that I wish I was in Chicago. You know, I wish I could get to Wrigley Field one more time this week. Still nice to get out to the ballpark, see some National League ball, and at least get one more game in. Maybe I've got one more this weekend, but still nice to get out to the ballpark one more time. Now, Ronan, this is significant because you were so annoyed with some of these Dodgers fans, the way they were acting, what they were shouting, that you actually texted us mid-game. And you are very much kind of a live and let live person when it comes to opposing fans. You know, I'm the one giving visiting fans the the stink eye, and you're the one going, hey, Randall, you giving these guys the stink eye? Does this make you mad? But So for for these fans to 
be noticed by you and for you to tell us about them. That is significant. And, you know, being in the NL West, you're welcoming in Dodgers fans on the regular giants fans on the regular, the D backs don't have fans. So you don't really welcome them in. Um, but is, is that easily the most annoyed you've been with visiting fans in your time visiting Coors Field in recent memory? Yeah, I didn't like the Cardinals games I've been to, you know, because <laughs> you're surrounded by those folks. Um, but I, I will say that there was a woman in particular, I was in my original seats for the first two or three innings, and there was a woman in front of me that drove me from my seat. And it's something that's common, Randall. You see it all the time in life, but it's particularly evident when you're at a sporting event. The dumbest person in the room overcompensates for their stupidity by being loud, and they yell stupid things the whole goddamn game. And by the third inning, I'm like, this ballpark's half empty. I do not need to sit here and take this the whole night. At one point, this Dodgers fan, diehard Dodgers fan, turned around to me and asked me if Clayton Kershaw was going to be pitching. Walker Bueller was on the mound. Like, what are you doing, lady? Just, and just be quiet. Just be quiet. Take in the game. Relax. She drove me from my seat, Randall. And I ended up in a livelier section in left field. But it was just one of those things. I'm like, I can't do three and a half hours of this. No, no, I under I understand completely. We've all been near that fan at one point or another. Maybe they were wearing a blue hat. Maybe they're wearing a red hat, maybe black, maybe purple, maybe green, maybe Cardinals red, which is a different shade from normal red because it's a more evil shade. Uh, but we've all been near that fan. And there's a saying that the weakest dogs bark the loudest. Uh, and, and that's as you said, that's certainly the case at sporting events. So you 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 just pieced out. You said can't do it. No. Can't do it, lady. The section is yours. You abandoned ship and you you roamed about the park. Yeah, you know, there's a cool section in center field too, behind the bleachers, basically right next to the camera well, where it's a standing room area and they have like a ledge behind the seat. So you can put your drink down, you can put your food down and you can stand there and lean on it. So you're not behind the yellow line. You're like, you're up in front of a green pole with a little stand area. I stood there for an inning or two. And then I found a spot in the left field bleachers, the very last row of the left field bleachers. And I missed a home run ball by about four, oh no. five rows or so. Got myself on the video. Yeah, shot. I was say you uh, probably got yourself on the video board there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you saw it. You you, you identified yeah, me. I did identify you on in the little clip, the picture of it. But it was fun. It was live. Anybody yelling at the umpires? It. Not out there. Um, but but there were definitely people yelling at each other. Ooh. Um, at one point, I I thought punches were going to be thrown. There was an older Dodgers fan and a Giants fan, just in each other's faces the wives or girlfriends or whatever they were, were holding them back. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's a Wednesday. But it, I was just amazed at how drunk some of the people were at that ball game. Um, there was a woman in front of me who, so I got to my seat in left field and maybe the fifth inning, I stayed there for the end of the game. When I got there, she was fine. Yeah. At some point in the sixth inning or so gone, she was gone. And when she gets gone, Every other word was an F-bomb. Oh, no. You know, F this guy, F that guy. A little kid had a, a Rockies hat on walking down the aisle. She was a Dodgers fan. F that kid. It's like, oh, ladies. Come on. Calm now, down. I've, I've had my moments at the ballpark <laughs> where I've shouted some things, uh, but I never I never dropped the F-bombs in no. part because there could be kids around. And I, don't yeah. want to, I don't want to be the one who has to talk to the kid's dad or mom saying, hey, please don't shout that in front of my kid. You never want to be the person who is getting talked to like that. So you, what you should have done is you should have told the Dodgers fan, yes, Clayton Kershaw is going to pitch. He's up in that section in center field. Go find him so he can pitch. And maybe she would have toddled along and uh, left your section in peace. 
That sounds like uh, kind of the crew I was around uh, on Tuesday. Oh, no. It was a large group. I, I don't I, It was from some, I don't know. They were all, uh, you know, it's very annoying to me when every five minutes they have to take pictures together. Yeah. And this is like a group of like 30 people. This is just a ton of people. And it's a picture, you know, I'll get together, take a picture. You know, I, I, it's that I can't, all, all these dudes were just hammered. Um, and there was a kid who, so I, like in the second inning, I'm sitting kind of in the front row and this guy comes down with his nine-year-old child, nine-year-old son, it's his ninth birthday. And he's like, are these, uh, <laughs> open in front of you? I'm like, yeah, but I don't know if you want to sit here, but they said to the whole game, these people are just dropping every swear word imaginable. They were pretty though. They did get the kid a ball. So I'll, I'll give them that okay. credit. They were very into because the kid had a sign. He wanted a ball. Unfortunately, Trace Thompson, you're on my list because you did not throw a ball to this kid who was a nine-year-old. Uh, on his birthday, he had to get the ball from the twins. That was a little unfortunate, but this kid did end up with his ball. Uh, but it was just a total mess, total absolute mess. And, you know, I, like, come on. I, and, you know, I, I, they were into the game a lot. Some of them had money on the game. Some of them were cheering really hard for that ninth run. So they were into the game. A lot of them weren't into the game. But then there was also parts of the group where it's like it's picture time. It's whatever time I'm like. Come on. And and there's some people here in Wrigley. Like, what are we doing? There's some people here. I know you saw it there at Coors. There's some people here trying to start the wave in the bleachers. And oh, I'm like, man. And I'm just yelling. I mean, no wave at Wrigley. Where are you people from? It's like it's just 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 total noobs. Like people don't know what's going on. Yeah. They don't know where they are. I'm like, I think it's funny. Like it's, it's always funny to me when I'm walking like I'm going to hot dogs. Right. And I'm walking in there and to get, you know, a, a Randy Martz or a Les Lancaster or a special sausage, you know, hot dogs. It was an institution before it was in Wrigley. Now it's in Wrigley. And I always think it's funny when I see some, you know, person with no idea or some trunk walking in, being like they're standing in line the whole time to get to the front line. They're like, do you have regular hot dogs? They're like, no. You have to go to the place next door and look where you're before going. I always think that's funny, but whatever. I'm not here to mock anybody. No. And you know, I want people to enjoy themselves. I want them to have a good time at the ballpark. It's just sometimes, you know, like take it easy or, or uh, stifle yourself a little bit here. You put a little bit too much down. Um, all in all a good time though. It's always nice to be at the ballpark. It was kind of a painfully slow game last night at Coors over three and a half hours for that game to finish. And uh, the Dodgers just couldn't get into it. Rockies win it 10 to five and um, a lot of fun out at the ballpark. I will say last one final point on it. I saw one of the worst jerseys yep. of all time. And I took a picture of it and Randall, I was thinking about you the whole time. This guy, I was, three or four rows in front of me. He had a knockoff Los Angeles Lakers Jersey. So he's at a Dodgers game. Okay. That makes sense. But it's an NBA Jersey on a guy with no undershirt. Come on. Bieber 12 on the back that Dodgers fan. I was telling you about who was yelling F you at everybody. She asks him, is that a Justin Bieber? It was a Justin Bieber knockoff Los Angeles Lakers NBA Jersey without an undershirt. Randall at Coors Field last Boy, night. No, somebody- thank you. Somebody paid money for that and wore it to a, a baseball game. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to judge too harshly people's choice of apparel. The, the hottest take I have in that regard, Ronan, I know you have some opinions about wearing jerseys with names on them and when you should stop doing it. My one opinion is that unless you are, uh, unless you are playing in a basketball game or unless you're at a music festival, if you are a male over the age of 12, <laughs> you, you probably shouldn't be wearing a basketball jersey. I think I don't think anything goes well 
with that. And again, I know people are, if we, our listeners, I'm sure going to disagree with me to some degree. I think, I think there's a point at which you have to stop wearing the basketball Jersey as a fashion item, except Randall, for very, very specific situations. Randall, are you wearing uh, basketball jerseys at your music festivals? I don't No, I don't go to music festivals. Way too many people. Well, you there. went to no, that, you went you. to that DMB concert about 10 years ago. I saw some jerseys up there that day. And I was Could not, I was on. not wearing an NBA Jersey for that one in part because I don't own an NBA Jersey in part because that's a Jersey that again, you can't wear while looking good. You can wear a baseball Jersey and you can look good as Ronan is right now. He's a big fan of wearing jerseys while we record the podcast. You can wear a football Jersey and you can look good because football Jersey is just a big oversized pullover shirt. You can wear a hockey sweater and you can look good because everybody looks good in a hockey sweater. There are a lot of people and demographics and ages. You just can't wear a basketball Jersey and look presentable while doing it. Like, and that's as, that's as hot as my takes come when it comes to wearing sports apparel as fashion items. Well, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but what I heard there is that Randall agreed Alpine Valley 2022. He's going to be in an NBA Jersey top at those concerts. And we're looking forward to it. You'll see those photos on at BTYL podcast next July. So be on the lookout for that. Randall, NBA jersey, what would you wear? If you had one jersey, you had to wear it, what would it be? Uh, none. I, I do not wear basketball jerseys. You want me to buy a jersey, a frame, put it up on the wall? You can't go wrong with MJ. I don't think there's any better jersey than the black number 23 on a red jersey. If you're asking me what jersey would I wear, again, it's a zero-sum game for me. I wouldn't. I don't think the world needs to see me in an NBA jersey. No, no, no. Don't you do it, Ronan. Don't you do it. Don't right. you do it. I see the look on your face. Right. The, the world does not need to see me wearing a basketball jersey. Well, I, I disagree with that. I, I definitely think I should. I should have told you, don't you do it. I should have told the both of you, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Joaquin Noah jersey on Randall J. Sanders next July. Well, speaking about jerseys, this one's tough, Randall. This weekend, Cardinals coming out to Wrigley for four games, doubleheader Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday. And Saturday, we got to see John Lester. Ooh and a St. Louis Cardinals jersey pitching perhaps for the last time at Wrigley Field. Oh, that doesn't feel good, Randall. I, I, I love this sport. I love the aesthetics of this sport. Why do the baseball gods have to put this on me that I got to watch John Lester pitch for the red hot St. Louis Cardinals at Wrigley Field this weekend? Well, because the baseball gods hate us, Ronan. The baseball gods are cruel, <laughs> petty, and vengeful, and they exist to smite humanity for our very sins. Everyone knows that. Uh, I guess the saving grace here is that he got that 200th win already. There's no yeah. narrative of him coming back to Wrigley. You know, David Ross uh, said, yeah, I was rooting for the red team last, last night. And I applaud David Ross for not saying rooting for the Cardinals. Smart man. Y- you know, I hate, I hate that I'm put in this position. I really do. And yeah. I felt the same way when Fowler came back as a Cardinal. I, I could not possibly root actively against John Lester. I could never root against him. Everything he did for this city and for this team, I could never. And the same for Dexter Fowler. But that, that's he comes back in another uniform and you have to root for his team to lose. It's an unfortunate reality of watching the sport. And that was it was different when he came back as a national. The Cubs and the Nationals are not locked in a, a centuries long blood feud the way the Cardinals and the, the Cubs are. But that's that's the reality of it. He's going to come back in that that gray jersey, or maybe they'll be wearing the uh, the powder blues as the Cardinals do on the road. He'll have two birds on his on his jersey, much as I will have two birds <laughs> active uh, during much of that game. And that's simply what the baseball gods have brought upon us. What, what hath thou wrought? And the answer is, at the end of this failed season, we get to see John Lester coming back and pitching at Wrigley in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. Oof. 
The, the Cardinals hot, hottest team in baseball may never lose another game. They may just ride it all the way through October. And it's ridiculous. You know, they won today and they're going to be, they're going to, they're, they're what five games up almost on the, on the wild card, you know, blowing past the Padres, blowing past the Reds, blowing past the Phillies. So who knows? John Lester be pitching meaningful October innings like once again in his career. And he could be doing it for the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, just, you know, a little revenge for a, uh, uh, 2000 and uh, I guess not necessarily revenge, but an irony on uh, the, you know, he, in 2013, he was on the other side of that one. 12 straight wins for the St. Louis Cardinals. You mentioned that they're way up four and a half game lead right now in the wild card. So a chance for the Cubs to play spoiler here. That could be fun if they could kind of stop the Cardinals dead in their tracks. I want to get one more point out there on John Lester, the 200th win extremely rare company. There are three active players in major league baseball with 200 wins. When you're mentioning these names, you're in good place if you're John Lester. Uh, Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, that is big-time talent that John Lester's in. We know how hard it is for pitchers to win 300 games, 200 games at this point. The game has changed. Starters don't go as deep into games. John Lester's been a very, very productive pitcher in his career. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's had a wonderful career, and it sucks that he's going to be a Cardinal I'm not going to let that take anything away, though, from what he means to Chicago, the most important free agent signing in Chicago Cubs history. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to look at his baseball reference page in a few years, and that, that second half of 2021, it'd just be a blur. You just you, you take censored. a marker, scratch it. Exactly, censored. You know, he had, a, he had a great career, except for that one half season that we don't talk about, and I think people will understand. Until he signs a three-year contract in the offseason with the Cardinals. Well, he's been pitching better with St. Louis. Uh, the one thing about it, though, is the Cardinals are a much better defensive team than Washington. That's true. So you look at it, it there's a little bit of, I think, smoke and mirrors here from John Lester. Um, he's changed his delivery a little bit. He, he's gotten away from the fastball. I think he's throwing more sinkers, what I was reading. But the big difference right now is the defense. St. Louis is a very good defensive team. Washington wasn't. And that's helping him at least give them some productive innings. Carpenter's been kind of their go-to guy. Other than that, they've only got, I don't think we have any players in the rotation that have more than 21 starts. So it's you, not like the Cardinals. Mean Wainwright? Like that. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. What did I say? Is Carpenter? Carpenter? I was like, yeah, I thought you might back Carpenter first. No, 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 like, no. Oh. Uh, you know, these, these Cardinals. Yeah, Chris Carpenter. They all, uh, they all blur together. They blur all blur together. together. But beyond that, it's not as if they'd have a consistent rotation one through five all year. And they went out at the trade deadline when everybody thought they were out of it. And they acquired a couple of pitchers. Not that Lester's been lights out, but he's given them meaningful innings and he's benefiting from a very good defense behind him. So that Cardinal magic, Randall, that's the thing that freaks me out right now. They just find ways to win games. And that's exactly what's happened over the last two weeks. Gosh, Ronan, are you saying a Cardinals team that shouldn't be successful is somehow finding ways to do so? That's never happened before. How new and how novel. You know, people said the devil magic was dead after 2015, after 2016. Has nobody seen a damn monster movie before? Show me the body. Dusty the, the has. Mon the, yeah, Dusty has. That's right. Dusty's a big Godzilla fan. Show me the damn body. The monster's not dead until you show me the body. And even then, and back then I said, Cardinals devil magic isn't dead because you can't kill true evil. It's just resting. And here we are once again, watching the devil magic take full effect. It is maddening. It is infuriating. And to hell with the Padres, to hell with the Reds for letting this happen. Both of those teams were poised to take that second wild card spot by a pretty wide margin at one point. Both of those teams collapsed. 
to let the Cardinals, this Cardinals team of all teams, ride up on you like that and take the second wild card spot, mostly unopposed at this point, it's infuriating. Shame on the NL for letting this happen. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. I just want to go back though. That was a good point you had, uh, Ronan, about the fact that the Cardinals defense is a lot better. I, I believe if you look it up on Savant that Adam Wainwright, who's having a fantastic year and is up, yeah. you know, probably top 10 pitcher in the national league this year. Uh, he, he has had the best defense of uh, the most defensive runs saved behind him of any pitcher, at least in the national league. I think perhaps the major league, uh, while he's been on the mound. So that the Cardinals defense has been a huge factor in how the, uh, they've gotten to this point and, you know, obviously Nolan uh, has been a big part of that. His offense has been a little down, but his defense is still uh, pretty amazing out there. And Harrison Bader is fast dude. That guy scored all the way from second base on a sack fly on a fly ball. It was a deep fly ball to, to the outfield, but he scored from second on a, a two run sack fly, which is something I rarely, you rarely ever see. And so he can go pick it out there in the outfield as well. Well, here's a question for you both. Beginning of the season, we made predictions how many wins are the Cubs going to have. Randall famously said 90 wins for the Cubs this year. Okay, so things didn't exactly work out that way. 10 games left for the Cubs. They are 67 and 85. They've got four with St. Louis this weekend. They go to Pittsburgh for three next week. They wrap up for three in St. Louis. So seven of the next 10 games, the final 10 games of the season against the Cardinals, the other three in Pittsburgh. Any way these Cubs avoid 90 losses. You know, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to say they managed to take one game against St. Louis. You got a seven, you got the two seven inning doubleheader games. Anything can happen in those games. I think they'll take two out of three from Pittsburgh. Uh, and that would, I believe, put them over 90 losses uh, the rest of the way. I don't think there's any way. You, you know, you'd have to take more than one against this Cardinals team, which I would do unholy things. I would, I would go to the temple of whatever Eldritch old god. Uh, can provide me what I need. And I would sacrifice a goat if it meant that we did not have to see the Cardinals win at Wrigley this weekend. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't see a way they avoid 90 losses at this point. Yeah, I think though, I, I, I probably have them finish something like 71 and 91. I think they'll get around four more wins. Hopefully, hopefully they get a little more, but uh, you know, probably pull one against the Cardinals this weekend you know, pull uh, two against the Pirates at Randallson and another one against the Cardinals probably, but maybe they can sweep the Pirates. Maybe the Cardinals will already be clinched by the time the end season is. So who knows how uh, it'll play out. Now, Ronan, I wouldn't call you an optimist. I'd call hmm. you in some ways a pessimist, but a, a realistic pessimist. Are they going to avoid 90 losses? What do you think? I think they're going to get hot here. I think they're going to get hot down the stretch. I love this idea that in this loss season, the Cubs can actually really mess up St. Louis, who are kind of rolling right now. They've won 12 in a row. They just sweat Milwaukee, too, and come from behind wins as well, especially today, the day game up there. I love the idea of Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel, knocking the Cardinals out of the second wildcard spot. We're going to make some predictions here before the end of the show about the remaining playoff picture in the National League and the American League. But I'm saying the Cubs are going to get hot. I, I think maybe they win five of seven here, something like that against St. Louis. Pittsburgh's an awful team. You can go to Pittsburgh, knock off a couple of wins. Maybe it gets fun here down the stretch. And I'd like to see the Cubs finish with 89 losses. So a strong finish down the stretch here. Let's make it happen. 
just put up a fight, put up a fight yeah. against the Cardinals. Don't do not go quietly into that good night. They, they put up a little bit of a fight against the Brewers more than I thought they were going to. They won a game in that series, which I did not think they were going to do put up a fight against the Cardinals. Don't let them come in here and, and get comfortable and don't hurt anybody. Obviously don't throw at anybody. Don't, don't hit anybody with a batted ball as the Cardinal shortstop did with that throw to the umpire's face. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but make it difficult for them Take you know, foul off those extra pitches, have those long at bats, make it difficult for the Cardinals. Don't let them take four comfortable wins as they cruise unopposed to that second wild card spot, make it uncomfortable for them. However you can within the boundaries of good taste. I, I, I hope, I hope you're right there, uh, Ronan. I hope that they go out there and they they're able to play that spoiler. I, I just think the car, I mean, the Cardinals, they're playing on another level right now. They're, they're going out. It seems like they can do no wrong on the field and the Cubs. I mean, we know what we've seen the Cubs uh, the second half of the season. So who knows, but uh, yeah, it'll be a big weekend series this weekend as it's the final uh, home uh, home series, you know, of, of the season for the Cubs. So hopefully they can go out there and, and take a little pride in that and uh, do some damage to the Cardinal pitching staff and their chances of making the wild card. Well, let me throw this one out there. I saw this on the Twitter here tonight. It's Cardinals related. It's Rockies related. But I thought about you, Randall, when I read it here. Uh, the Rockies today, who blew a game late against the Dodgers, lost an extra innings, were officially eliminated from playoff contention today when the Red Hot Cardinals beat the Brewers. Nolan Arenado scored what would become the game-deciding run in the eighth inning. So the Colorado Rockies kicked their best player out of town. They sent $50 million with him to St. Louis. Nolan Arenado scores the game-winning run, which eliminates the card, uh, the Rockies rather from playoff contention. Yikes, Colorado Rockies! That's a tough way for your season to uh, come to a close here. But maybe well, fitting. Of course, right. it was Nolan that did it. To whatever extent the Rockies season hadn't, you know, come to a close months ago, it is it is funny how players can can resonate across time and space and two teams that weren't directly competing for anything still managed to affect one another and still managed to have a player affect his former team like that is it is funny how that works baseball has a way randall there's always these connections uh, the denver media was having some fun with that earlier today all right cubs are going on the road here after this four game set against st louis it's three at beautiful pnc park in pittsburgh and then three in randall what's the word you want to use for st louis i said beautiful for pittsburgh what do you got for our neighbors down in st louis eighth level of hell <laughs> eighth level of hell st louis bush stadium randall you got weather for us for this upcoming week i what do you got? so before the cubs head to st louis we do have a weekend series here at wrigley in beautiful chicago at beautiful and historic wrigley field as always, weather is brought to you by Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall for all of your forecasting needs, baseball and otherwise. So the Cubs play four games against the Cardinals because three games just wasn't enough. Humanity is wicked and must be punished, apparently. Uh, Friday, it is a 120 start and a 705 start. It is a classic day-night doubleheader. Saturday and Sunday are both 120 starts. Friday. Winds will be out to center field at 10 to 20 miles per hour, gusts up to 30. So the wind is going to be blowing out. Temperatures will be in the mid 70s, humidity, comfortable and a non-factor. It is definitely fall. And for the series, you can expect what is called the typical late September in Chicago. 
Now, Alexander does note that for those of you going to the Friday night game of the doubleheader, rain does appear likely in Chicago hand, Chicago land sometime late Friday evening. It could cause some trouble late in game two of Friday's doubleheader. Otherwise, all three days are going to be uh, pretty all three days, all three games between Friday and Saturday are going to be pretty windy. So again, for the Friday day game, temperatures in the mid 70s for the day game, temperatures in the low 70s with a chance for rain for the Friday night game, and all day it will be pretty windy. We shift to Saturday now, again, a 120 start. You'll find temperatures in the low 70s, the wind out to right field, 10 to 15 miles per hour, gust to 25. So Cubs pitchers keep the ball on the ground. Again, humidity not a factor in Saturday, rain not a factor either. And then finally, sadly, for the Chicago Cubs home series finale, the final home game of the season here in 2021, an absolute picture perfect day for a ball game at Wrigley. Temperatures in the mid 70s, wind will be less of a factor out to right field, five to 15 miles per hour, clear skies, plenty of sunshine. So if you want a day that's not going to be too windy and is going to be just a little bit warmer, it seems like Sunday is the game to go to. And one note, that it, it is Wrigley Field tradition that for the final home game of the season, the grounds crew uh, sings a seventh inning stretch. Hopefully they continue that. And if you like getting there early, it is less of a tradition, but it does still happen where the players will take signed baseballs and they will uh, take buckets of them, toss them into the stands. You got guys with uh, some great arms out there. They try and get them into the upper deck. So get there a little early if you can, and you've got a good chance to get a baseball. The Cubs will then go on the road to start their final road trip of the season. So it is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at beautiful PNC Park in Pittsburgh. All three games are 5.35 p.m. Central Time starts. The series vibe will be cool, calm, and comfortable. The baseball may not be great, but the weather will be. A chance for a few showers Tuesday is the main story for this extended range forecast. It's a little far out, but clear and cool evenings Wednesday and Thursday. Tuesday night, temperatures in the mid-60s with a chance of rain. It'll be a cross-field wind out to left to right, 5 to 15 miles per hour. Wednesday night will be perfectly clear, temperatures in the low 60s at game time, and a breeze in from left field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. And then finally, the Cubs' final game in Pittsburgh here in 2021. Thursday night, temperatures in the mid-60s, a light breeze in from left field at 5 miles per hour. And so we'll conclude the Cubs season series with the Pirates and the Cubs' final game in Pittsburgh for the season. We only have one forecast left to look forward to from Alexander this year on the next episode. That will be our final forecast for the, the pit of hell that is St. Louis. But as always, find Alexander on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Find his weather account shared with two other individuals, uh, uh, Colin and Andrew at Cubs Weather for all of your Chicago Cubs forecasting needs. If there's rain in the area for any of these games, Alexander always puts up the radar, tells you the chances of delay. We very much highly recommend following Alexander at Cubs Weather. Thank you. Really, really good stuff. We love it. And we'll have to ask him if maybe he can get us some forecasts here in the playoffs as well. We're going to talk mm -hmm. playoff baseball when the Cubs season ends and before free agency really gets going. We'll shift gears a little bit. We'll look at what's going on in the AL and the NL and um, maybe not every game, but we'll get a sense of the ballparks that are outside. Is there going to be a weather impact? Cause that's certainly something that can affect, especially the short series. You get one game where rain's involved. It can completely change the trajectory of a series. So uh, we're baseball fans. We're going to be tracking the playoffs. We're going to keep this pod going, but we appreciate it, Alexander. Uh, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you really quickly, are you out at Wrigley at all this weekend? Do you have one more game or are you done? I do have one more game. I have uh, tickets to Saturday's game. 
Oh, or uh, I could see Johnny Lester one more time. Awesome. Awesome. We'll give him at least one clap for me. One solid clap. I don't like cheering for anybody in that Jersey top. And there will be plenty of opportunities for cheer for John Lester down the road. You know, he's going to be a fixture at Wrigley in his retirement, but give him at least one clap for me, Jeremy. He's earned that. And what he means to this organization, one solid skin on skin flesh clap there out in the bleachers. I will be doing that. I'll be giving probably more than one clap to John. Uh, you know, I hope he goes out there and I hope uh, it probably ends like it ended the way it ended when he came out here uh, in May with the Nationals. All right. Yeah, let's get some Cubs victories here this weekend. All right, let's shift gears elsewhere in baseball, an interesting controversy. And I think the three of us are not necessarily on the same page with kind of what played out. So let's set the stage here first and then talk a little bit more about it. Tenth series here, two division opponents, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Rays down in St. Pete. Kevin Kiermaier, the veteran outfielder for the Rays, he's on base. He tries to score on a play that ends up being a collision at the plate. The catcher for the Jays, Alejandro Kirk, tags him out. And in that collision at home plate, the scouting card, which is attached to sort of the the wristband of Kirk, falls out, lands on the field next to Kiermaier. He picks it up. He takes it back to the home dugout. They hand it over to their field coordinator, gentleman by the name of Paul Hoover. And now the question is out there, is that dirty? Is that clean? Did he do something wrong? Accusations all over the place. People comparing him to the Houston Astros. So before we get into what came next, Randall, clean, dirty, what do you do here when a scouting report quite literally falls in your lap? Well, you know, it's not clean, but that's also not a knock on Kiermaier. If baseball were completely clean, you wouldn't have base runners at second base uh, looking in and trying to convey the signs. That's not clean, but it's also perfectly legal and it's part of the game. And I know there are a lot of meatheads out there and a lot of real dumbasses <laughs> who say, how is that any different than what the Astros did? There's a huge difference than taking from between taking a garbage can and trying to bang it to convey symbol, to convey scouting reports or the, the pitch, the pitch call to your hitters. There's a huge difference between doing that and standing out there at second base and noticing, hey, I think I've got the signs figured out. They're going to throw a fastball. There is a huge difference. If you as a baseball team are having your signs stolen like that, that's on you. Uh, do better at hiding your signs. Uh And so to that end, it's not necessarily clean because 100% clean would have been giving the card back to them and saying, hey, you know, I didn't want to be an ass about this. Here you go. How would they have known that Kiermaier didn't look at it at that point anyway? So Kiermaier, I don't think he's completely clean here, but I don't think he's out of line at all. I don't think he did anything dirty. I understand that uh, Alejandro Kirk didn't drop the card. Jeremy told me that it was dislodged from his wristband after a collision at home place. I understand that. But at the same time, Kiermaier's not doing anything wrong by picking that up and taking it back to his dugout. If they don't want to lose it, they should secure it better, or they should notice that it's sitting there at home plate and one of their guys should pick it up. So Kiermaier is not completely clean, but that's not a knock against him because part of the game is not being completely clean and using every reasonable advantage you can to try and figure out how the other team is going to pitch you. So I... I don't side against Kiermaier here. I don't, I think he's within his rights as a player. I don't, I don't have a problem with it pretty much at all. I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to put all your stuff on a card, which is where baseball is trending to uh, these days, and you know, you lose that on the field of play, then if somebody picks it up, they pick it up. I mean, I don't have a problem with, with that just being a part of the game. Personally, I think we've gone overboard on this stuff. I, I don't think, 
you know, we, you know, maybe the future is we ban this type of stuff. You know, I know Joe West was out there saying, Hey, get that, those, these cards out there a while ago. But, uh, you, you know, I, if Kiermaier picks it up, that, that's, that's the, that's the game. Like you put all your, your, the way you're going to pitch certain players on a card on the field of play, it's just sitting there and he's sitting there. That's on you, as Randall said. You know, I, I realize it, it as you, as Randall said, and as I pointed out, it came off in a collision. But it still comes off. It wasn't secured tightly enough to stay on, and Kirk didn't notice it, uh, Captain Kirk. And uh, so I, I, you know, Kiermaier, you know, he, he I, I'm not that like, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a, a ego to him or whatever. But uh, so I'm not going to go in all on, you know, whether or not I agree with all his comments or whatever, because he probably should just own up to it and say, you know, I did take it, but I, I don't have a problem with it, and he took it and and whatever, and uh, so I think. You're going to put it out there. It's fair game. Well, I think it's very funny that Joe West, of course, was the umpire in the middle of all of this. Yep. Like, who else? Of course, Joe West is going to be the guy working these games. And he was actually behind the plate the next day when Kiermaier was plunked. He was hit by the opposing team uh, the next day. I think day. Fremming was behind the plate. So Fremming was, was behind the plate yeah. when the actual thing occurred, or the collision at the plate. No, no, no. I, Fremming was behind the plate when the plunking occurred. Joe oh, West was at oh first. I misread that. Okay, interesting. So who yeah. was West behind the plate for the game or just on the base he, paths? Somewhere? I'm not exactly sure where West because I watched I watched I watched the plunking. It was funny. <laughs> I went back and I rewatched the whole thing. And because uh, uh, West came in and he ejected uh, the pitcher, uh, Borucki, I think. But he was definitely coming from the base paths. Interesting. Well, good catch on that. I, I think two things on this one. I think the whole thing was kind of blown out of proportion, um, particularly with regards to I'd be curious how much info one was on the card. Now one, it's a catcher. So of any card that's on the field, it probably has the most information on it. But number two, I, I don't know that any of it would be all that surprising right. for any of the players in the other team. Like they scout themselves. They know how other pitchers and how other players attack them. They, they are very aware of how other teams are attacking them because when you're a major league hitter, you are constantly making adjustments. That's what's happening the entire season long. And the players that are good at making adjustments stay in the league. And the ones who aren't good at making adjustments get out of the league. So I don't know that there was all of that info in there that it, I certainly wouldn't equate it to what the Astros did. Houston Astros were using cameras to zoom in and see the sign of the catcher and then relay a message to the batter of what pitch was coming. That's not at all remotely close to what this was. The Astros are 10 times worse. That said, it's not sitting well with me. I don't like what Kiermaier did picking it up and then taking it back from the dugout and then not owning it, saying, well, I thought it was my card. I didn't know what it was. Bullshit, dude. You knew exactly what it was and you took it. The problem with it is it came out of a collision. I think there's a little bit of like a haze after the collision. I think Kiermaier was blocking the catcher's view of the area. I don't even know the catcher saw it sitting on the ground there. That feels a little bit dirty to me. That's all. Not the end of the world. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't plunk the guy for it. I think these players are a bunch of jackasses for acting that way, but I just don't like the optics of a guy after a collision. Like the catcher's head has to be in a million places after that play is done. Did I make the tag? Was that the third out? Is anybody reviewing any plays here? Your head's going to a million places. I don't like the optics of the player picking it up. And if you're going to pick it up, dude, own it, own what you did. Come on. Yeah, Kiermaier's comments made this so much worse than it needed to be. If he had just said, yeah, you know, I, you, you dropped it. It's no different than me trying to pick up your signs at second base, take better care of it. I think this would have blown over that much more quickly. And Ronan, to your point earlier, the, the Jays and the Rays are a division opponent. 
they've played each other. I assume the normal 19, 20 times this year. What do you know? What, what have they not already seen as to how one yeah. team is going to pitch the other? Like if your scouting department has not already put down a, a solid binders worth of here's what they're going to, here's how they're going to pitch you in this department. Here's how they're going to pitch you in this count. Here's how they're going to pitch you like this. Then, you know, what's, what is either team doing? So I, I, I think that there's, I don't think Kiermaier did anything wrong here. I think it's more controversial than it needs to be. And I think Kiermaier made it worse than it needed to be with his comments. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the Jays claimed that it basically had every, you know, everything on how they were going to pitch all the race players. They claimed, uh, you know, we, we obviously don't know. And we're taking the Jays at their word that it basically had every single information. But I, like you said, and I was thinking the same thing you guys said hit on it is the players know how they're being pitched they're, They've been up there all the whole season. They know how everybody's throwing them. They know what, you know, so it's not like they don't know that. I'm sure there's some specifics on there that you probably wouldn't like, you know, you don't want the opposing team to know, but they, they have a general idea of how they're being pitched. But here's my thing with the first, the, the Rays and the Astros were, the Astros were very invasive, right? They were, they were, they were using cameras. They were getting in there. They were, they were kind of like snooping in to get, you know, all the information. <laughs> Whereas the, the, the thing with the Rays was it was like sitting there in public domain. It was sitting there just wide open to take. So I don't have a problem with Kiermaier just picking it up. Like, you know, and then he turned over to his field corner. Eventually it did get back to the blue Jays the next day. Uh, I, uh, it, I believe uh, the manager, uh, Kevin Cash, turned it over to Charlie Montoyo. And then, you know, obviously that day, uh, Borucki obviously and clearly intentionally plunked Kiermaier. I mean, it was a 7-1 game. It was at the start of the uh, eighth inning, I believe. Or maybe it was the ninth. No, it's bottom of the eighth the inning. Eighth. Yeah. Uh, Kiermaier was leading off. It was kind of funny because he, uh, I'm trying to think who the catcher was at the time. It was not Kirk. But the catcher, he, the catcher set, set up a way. And, and and Perucky just just throws a dart straight between the three and the nine on Kiermaier's back. I don't even know if the catcher was kind of you know right. I think he might have just been ready to take an actual pitch, and Perucky just decided as long. He's like, yeah, you know, he, he he nodded for the pitch, and then decided, you know, I'm just gonna throw one right at Kiermaier. And uh, Kevin Cash was hot, obviously, that Perucky was not immediately ejected after the umpires got together. Joe West did go up there and be like, okay, this was clearly obvious after, mm. you know, everything that's been said, we all know the situation, get out of here. And then the blue Jays pitching coach went off, like just went crazy at Joe West, which I thought was a little bit ridiculous and over the top, like Borucki's getting uh, daps all the way down the dugout. Like everybody knows what he did. Everybody knows. So like, why is the pitching coach? So, if it's so intentional, he's obviously going to get ejected. They're not going to allow this to happen. And it was the last game the Rays and the Jays played together. Honestly, I hope the Jays get into the playoffs, and I hope they end up facing the Rays because I think it'll be a great playoff series, and not just because I got the Jays at plus 2,200 to win the World Series. Well, Kevin Kiermeyer said that he hopes that they get a chance to play each other, and he basically alluded to the fact that they got bulletin board material now. It's personal maybe to, to play Toronto. And I think that's a perfect segue into our next little segment here. Want to make some final playoff predictions. We've got two weekends of baseball left one more midweek midweek rather. And then it's postseason time. Randall, cover your ears here. The Chicago White Sox clinched the American league central today. They are playoff bound for the first time since 2008 elsewhere in the American league, Tampa Bay already clinched a playoff spot. They are likely going to win the American league East Houston, 
also uh, cruising right now in the American League West. They got a seven and a half game lead. So those teams basically in. The question in the American League right now is who's going to land in the wild card. So where it stands right now, Boston is wild card number one. They've got a two game lead on the New York Yankees, who currently are their wild card number two team. Behind that, Toronto, one game behind New York. Seattle, two games behind New York. Oakland, four games behind New York. So a handful of teams here, maybe not so much Oakland, but more so those other teams right in the middle of a playoff chance. Jeremy, wild card one, wild card two. Where does this wrap up in the American League? Well, I think Boston will take wild card one. I think they will, they will get in. I think, you know, I'm, I, as I just said, I, I'm going to go with Toronto. Uh, I picked the New York Yankees at the beginning of the year to win the World Series. I yeah. thought they were going to be uh, studs. I, I had Garrett Cole winning. Uh, the Cy Young, which looks like it probably will happen. I had Giancarlo Stanton winning the uh, AL MVP, which looks like it probably will not happen. Um, but you know, the Yankees—they've been kind of weird all season. They were—they were down, they were up, and then they were down, and then they were up again, and then they kind of went back down. Uh, they got Anthony Rizzo, who's kind of struggled. You know, he got COVID, and then he's had some good games, some bad games. They got—I mean, Luke Voigt was light, was pretty much out of it. They're talking about whether they should trade him or send him down at the deadline and then and then Rizzo got COVID and he he's been hot and they haven't been able to find room for all these different guys uh, Aaron Judge's back is hurting him so I, I don't know what's going on with the Yankees and then I look at that Blue Jays lineup and I think that that team is just so stacked from top to yeah. bottom I mean the Yankees are too but they're just so stacked and, and the AL East is such a good division I mean if you really think about it with the Rays the Red Sox the Yankees the Blue Jays I feel so bad for the Orioles <laughs> like I don't know what they're gonna do there so I, I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. And I'm going to go with the Red Sox. Randall, what do you think? American League wild card. I am inclined to agree. Jeremy stole all of my answers. Should have let me go first. So he could have stolen my answers. Oh, you stole all my answers about uh, the Rays and the Jays. So turnabout's fair play. That's fair. Uh, I also have Boston hanging on to wild card one. And uh, I, I do think the Blue Jays are going to go ahead and take wild card two. I would like to see that team in the postseason because that's a great team. There's a lot of really exciting hitters on that team. I would like to see Vlad Jr in the postseason, And if they do make the wild card game, I'd like to see them beat Boston. And I'd like to see at least a full series because Kyle, Vlad jr. Is one of the best players in the game, young or otherwise, I would like to see him play a full postseason series. So I'm going to say that red Sox take wild card one blue Jays wild card two. And I think that would be a very, very interesting wild card game. I would definitely watch that. Yeah. What you got out there run. Well, I just want compelling matchups, well, me too. especially in the American League. That's what I'm looking at. And you look at it from a few different perspectives, Boston, New York. That's amazing for a one game playoff at Fenway Park, Schwarber, Rizzo going at it. How fun would that be to kind of see that play out? Seattle's only two back. They've won five in a row. This team has not been in the playoffs since 2001. I don't think Seattle's the best team of what's left there. But rally the underdog. It's kind of like 2000, the Sox and the Mariners getting back into the postseason. Um, so that would be compelling. But I'm going to go Boston, New York, old school baseball, one game, wild card, winner take home at Fenway Park. And Kyle Schwarber going to hit a walk-off home run. Wow. Send the Red Sox uh, on, into the, uh, on into the playoffs there. That means, though, White Sox-Astros, very yep. likely the opening round matchup there. Hmm. That'll be interesting. Those teams met Randall back in 2005, a fall that you'd like to forget would be uh, interesting because that's going to put most of America 
on the Chicago White Sox side. You know teams outside of Houston are not cheering for that team down in Texas. They're still the cheaters. People still don't like him. Going to be a whole lot of White Sox fans, at least for that series in the beginning of October. Well, it can't be helped, Ronan. Sometimes events go certain ways. But, you know, that's what happens when there's matchups in the postseason where you've got reasons to not want either team to win necessarily. You hope that the lesser of two evils wins out. Uh, in the first round and then ends up getting eliminated in the next round. You just hope that it, it sorts itself out as you go through the postseason. A couple of compelling races here in the National League, starting the National League West, Randall. Giants have been cruising all year. The underdogs, they're up one game going into this weekend here. Two weekends to go in baseball. Giants in first with 99 wins. Dodgers one game back with 98 wins. What team takes the National League West here over the next week? I'm inclined to think the Dodgers do. I think the Dodgers are going to take the National League West. Uh, that I don't necessarily have a compelling statistical reason to think that. Uh, that is just my prediction. So we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. Jeremy, National League West. I also believe the Dodgers will take the, the National League West, and I believe the Dodgers will take the National League West because I believe the Dodgers are the best team in baseball as currently. Uh, constituted and I think the Dodgers will just win more games over the final you know 10 games or so than the Giants although who knows maybe you know you come down and they end up with the same record and we have to do a game 163 or something that would be obviously fun um, to see who ends up playing in the wild card game uh, much like happened unfortunately in 2018 with the Dodgers and the Rockies and of course the Cubs win the Brewers but uh, I, I think the Dodgers will be the team that makes it out of the NL West, which is unfortunate for the Giants because they're going to win 100 games and may have to play in the wild card game. Yeah. Which is uh, but it's better than the 93 Giants who won 100 games and didn't make the playoffs. You know, whatever happens this year, I don't think Tony Walters is going to be getting any game winning hits in the wild card game. So whoever, whoever does have to play in that wild card game, they probably do not have to worry about that. Well, I'm sorry to say this, Mabel, but I want it to be the Dodgers that win the West. And the reason why I want it to be the Dodgers is you're right, Jeremy. The Dodgers are the best team in the National League. And I don't like a playoff situation with St. Louis and Milwaukee you want to knock out St. Louis. going towards a potential World Series here with the best team in the league not playing. The Giants have had an incredible season. I still don't know that I totally buy it. And anybody can lose a, a five-game series. The best team in baseball could lose it to the worst team in baseball. I want the best team, though, playing, and I want them getting as many chances as possible because one game, you flip a coin. Anybody can win one game. I don't like what it could mean for the Brewers and the Cardinals if the Dodgers are the team playing that one game. That's not something that sits very well with me. Yeah, I talked to some Cardinals fans, and they, and, and surprisingly, I, I, a number of them have suggested that they would prefer the Dodgers in a one-game playoff. And thinking about uh, a Max Scherzer start, you'll probably get in, in that. And that the fact is, they a one-game playoff, anything could happen. And if they end up do winning that, they think they would have a better chance facing the Giants than facing the Dodgers in a, in, a, in a series. Personally, I don't think there's much difference. I think both teams are pretty good, and I think you're probably not likely to beat the You know, you're really not likely to beat the Dodgers in one game. But even if you do get by the Dodgers, uh, I think it's for, uh, pretty similar. But uh, it, it'll be interesting. And, and the one thing about the Giants and the Cardinals is when the Cardinals played the Giants, and they played the Giants well, it was pre-Chris Bryant, and both Buster Posey and Evan Longoria were out in all of those games. Boy, Jeremy, I thought you were going to say you talked to some Cardinals fans. You were surprised they could use multiple syllables, but maybe that's maybe that's just what I would have well, said. I, 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 I'm able to interact with other people. So it's a series of like grunts and whistles. Is that how it works? You know, have we have 
cordial and, conversations with people to have discussions. Anyway, um, that, that's so Cardinals fans for them to, to fluke their way into the second wild card and then go opponent shopping and say, boy, you know, I'd really rather we play this team instead of that team. That's so that's so incredibly you would Cardinals do the fan. same thing if the Cubs ended up in there. You would yes. But see, like, the thing is, Jeremy, that as Cubs fans, play. as Cubs fans, we are right. We oh, are okay. right. Cardinals fans are not. And at some point we have to acknowledge that. And there's there's no right answer here. Like there's it, anything can happen. You play one yeah. game, your, your pitcher can get shelled. Yeah. Your number I mean, five starter can go out and throw a shutout. So. Oh man, it's, yeah, I, it's going to be compelling. And let I, me I think, let me piss Randall off a little more here. I have Cardinals fans telling me they hope they play the Dodgers because they can face Kershaw because they're cocky to face Kershaw in the playoffs because they always kill Kershaw in the playoffs. Goodness gracious, grant me the confidence of a Cardinals fan doing anything. We were talking about MVP race last week and Bryce Harper's name that came up. That's the other real close race right now, the National League East. Right now, Atlanta in first place. They've got a two-game lead on Philly. 81, or rather, 80 and 71 are the Braves. 79 and 74 are the Phillies. So the Phillies are two back. The magic number for Atlanta is nine, 10 games to go, or nine games, I guess, to go for them. Who wins the East here, Jeremy? Uh, the AL, or excuse me, the NL East, I, I got to go with the Braves. I think they're just so far up in advance. I would like to see the Phillies put a run on it. Um, but I, I think the Braves do. The Mets are obviously kaput. Uh, unfortunately for them, they traded one of their best prospects for Javi Baez and Trevor Williams. That did not work out. No. Um, maybe they should have gotten Chris Bryant as well, but who knows how it would have gone. But Braves, I think, have to be the team. It's, it's the Braves here. We saw last week that the, that Phillies team is not very good. And just because they were able to overcome this Cubs team, that I would not call that a particularly, uh, I would not call that the the a particularly strong victory. That Phillies team is not very good. They're not going to catch the Braves. Yeah, and before we, uh, I don't know, uh, Ron, if you want to answer that, you think it's the Braves, right? No, I, I think uh, Phillies are going to do this. And I think I, they're going to do it. Wow, I'm all in now on Bryce Harper getting the MVP. I, the I love Harper. Padres might even not finish over 500 yeah. the rest of the way here. How amazing is that, that a team that was cruising at the all-star break, they're very likely going to be under 500 when this thing comes home. The Phillies have an opportunity here and they play the Braves. They've got the Pirates for three. They've got the Braves. They finish up the season with the Marlins. That's not exactly a difficult schedule. The Phillies have won three in a row. I think Bryce Harper gets hot here and the Phillies end up doing it. And I love the excitement of a team in the home stretch here, putting it together and uh, upsetting everybody as everybody's kind of written off. I think the Braves is the winners there. Not so fast. Phillies are going to wow. pull it out. Hey, I, I would love to see Bryce Harper go off and the Phillies do work. But the one thing I want to point out is obviously with the big trade deadline, but this, this, uh, this postseason is kind of going to be a fun little tournament for all your ex Cubs. Uh, pretty mm. much almost every team is going to have a prominent ex-Cub on it. I mean, we talked about Lester on the Cardinals. If the Braves make it, they have Soler and Peterson. You know, uh, every team, obviously, Rizzo makes it on the Yankees, uh, Schwarber on the Red Sox, Kimbrell on the White Sox, plus uh, Ryan Tapera. Uh, you can just go, I mean, you want to go Aloy and Dylan Cease as well. But uh, you can just go down the line on, on, on different teams and, and how they have prominent ex-Cubs. So, you know, there's a good chance some uh, Cubs Go are going to be doing some big damage in the playoffs. You know, if the Blue Jays win the World Series, they will give a ring to Tyler Chatwood, who started oh, the season with the Blue Jays. So you could, Jeremy, if you if you uh, win your money on that bet, you could also raise a glass to World Series champion Tyler Chatwood. Yeah, so you could we're just have a little bracket of all your ex-Cubs and who you want to win. 
wild card two, the only other thing kind of up in the air, but boy, it looks like the Cardinals have it unless the Cubs can mess them up here in the next week and a half. They've got a four and a half game lead on Philly Cincy who's lost two in a row and seven of their last 10. They're now five and a half back San Diego six back. So yikes, some interesting things here. Most of the American league is wrapped up the national league with a couple more compelling cases and nine to 10 games to go. We've got one more show here before the end of the regular season. We'll get that before that final series in St. Louis. Also want to tease something about two weeks out. We are going to do a fun show, a festive show where we have a little bit of an award ceremony. We're going to look back on the season. We're going to honor our favorite moments We're going to mourn our least favored moments, memorable moments. If you've got any ideas for topics of discussions of points we can get into, send us a tweet at BTYL podcast. We've started kind of a running list here. So we're working towards it. Um, Something else that we've considered is what to call the awards. And I'm just putting this out there to the Twitter world. What I proposed was the Randy's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I proposed the Randy's. I came up with the award idea. I misremember the conversation yeah. that from earlier in the week. Well, I was maybe your number one proponent then. Yes. I got, like I got evidence. Idea, let us know. If you don't like that idea, let us know. We're very early in the exploration process of this. Uh, but Randall, I think it will be fun to celebrate the season. And if we could put together some type of an award, good moments, bad moments, memorable moments, moments we'd love to forget, we'll bring to close this up and down season here in 2021. We'll give the season a Viking funeral. We'll put it on a a couple of Wrigley Field seats. We'll pour some old style over it. We'll light it ablaze and we'll set it afloat out on Lake Michigan. All right, let's go back in time, Randall. 20 years, the 2001 Chicago Cubs, the ballad continues. We've talked about so much with this team. Something we haven't talked about enough was how good the pitching was that season. We talked offensively, Sammy Sosa, 10 war. Nobody else offensively on the team higher than two war. So Sammy drove the offense, but the pitching was very, very good. Cubs earned run average that year, 4.05. It was the fourth best in the National League. And perhaps more importantly, it was down more than a full run from a year before in 2000. The Cubs also that year, sort of ahead of the curve, 20 years ahead of the curve, leading Major League Baseball in strikeouts, 1,344 strikeouts. Um, They also had the second most uh, shutouts, I think, in the National League behind Arizona. And if you remember National League and Arizona that year, that was a team that won the World Series. That was a team that had Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling. Uh, The Cubs had the fourth fewest runs allowed per game. And a big part of that was their pitching coach, Oscar Acosta, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, But I was thinking about that. He joined the team with Don Baylor prior to the 2000 season. He was not Don Baylor's choice to be the team pitching coach. Don Baylor wanted Rick Sutcliffe to be pitching coach for the Cubs. That didn't work out. It ended up being one of their minor league coaches in Oscar Acosta. And he puts together this team, John Lieber, four and a half war that year as one of the Cubs aces. Kerry Wood, a four-war season. A career-best season for Julian Tavares, who was the number three starter. A career-best season for Jason Bure. He had a war over three. And Kevin Tappany in his final year, rounding out the Cubs' starting rotation. Cubs pitching very competitive, a ton of strikeouts, plenty of names in the bullpen as well. But when you think about some of the arms in that starting rotation, the Cubs got career seasons from multiple guys. It wasn't Kerry Wood's best year. He was better in 1998. He was better in 2003. But when you go out and you get guys like Julian Tavares, Jason Bure, when you've got what's left of Kevin Tappany, he was 37 years old that year, you're getting some of the best seasons of their careers. 
That's how you take a team that loses 90 losses and suddenly you're competing for a wild card spot or a division spot. So the pitching, a very compelling part of that season for the Cubs. Definitely the pitching, you know, and the pitching in the two thousands was, was for a long time. Obviously Larry Rothschild was the pitching coach. Uh, was pretty solid for the Cubs. They led the league in strikeouts for a long time. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was a good seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 years that the Cubs were the, the league leader in, in strikeouts uh throughout so it was always obviously Kerry Wood would be a huge part of that and then uh you know later Mark Pryor Carlos Zambrano other pitchers but uh 2001 was kind of the start of that all of that and it was a big year for that and so John Lieber was the last 20 game winner before Jake Arrieta was dead did it in a Cy Young season um and it was just a, a special team with a special rotation and it was an interesting rotation and an even inter- more interesting bullpen in my opinion I mean, you had some guys like Todd Van Poppel out there who was coming back, you know, a former big time prospect came back trying to make a career of it again. So it was just a very uh, interesting pitching staff that the Cubs had power arms too yeah. at an area in the ball game mm-hmm. where you didn't have a ton of that Kyle Farnsworth, 82 innings in relief that year for the Cubs, 107 strikeouts, Tom Gordon, who missed the first month or two of the season with an injury in 45 innings, he struck out 67 Todd Van Poppel struck out 90 in 75 innings. So yeah. you had these power arms in the bullpen. You had some finesse guys. Felix Heredia was still around. Jeff Desera was still around. But then these power arms from the right side, the Cubs racked up the strikeouts. And the pitching was a big reason why that team was competitive as deep into the season. And when you look at guys that kind of started to fall off as the year went on, Julian Tavares had like a 1-5 ERA through his first six or seven starts. He was in the bullpen by September. So first month and a half, two months of the season, very good for him. He goes off the deep end. Jason Bure struggled down the stretch. What really impressed me, though, Kevin Tappany had one of the best seasons of his career in 2001. He was worth nearly three war. It was his highest war in a season since 1994 with Minnesota. And yet his career ended there. The Cubs had like a six and a half million dollar option, I think, for the next season. That wasn't happening. They weren't bringing him back. But he ended up at 37 years old, putting together one of the best seasons of his career. I don't remember it going being that way. That's something I was able to find today looking back at the stats. Ronan, you mentioned Julian Tavares going off the deep end. He, he also struggled pitching the rest of the way. Oh, brutal, brutal. Jason Beret, though, in his yeah. ninth season, a career best mm-hmm. three war. His second best season was his rookie year back with the Chicago White Sox in 1993. Um, down the stretch, he was bad. He had starts in mid-August and September, earned runs of nine in a game, five in a game, six in a game, five in a game, a couple down the final stretch with three earned runs. But Jason Beret still very competitive most of the season, and that kept the Cubs into things. And you got some couple of young arms, you know, that were coming up that you got the first taste of. You got the first taste of, well, I guess not young, but uh, Joe Borowski coming yep. up there. And then uh, Carlos Zambrano making it up at the, by the end of that year, not doing very well, but was up out there uh, on the mound for the Cubs that year. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned Carlos Zambrano because there's something else that I wanted to say here. One of the things that was very interesting at the end of 2001, as the season was coming to a close, Oscar Acosta resigned as pitching coach. And remember, Mm -hmm. this is a guy who took the team earned run average down more than a full run. And he quits before the end of the year. And we find out as the season is ending that all season, he and manager Don Baylor were not getting along. They were having issues with each other. Andy McPhail, the Cubs executive also had an issue with the Costa back in spring training in 2001. 
Acosta got in trouble for ripping some of his young players. This is a direct quote that he said about Carlos Zambrano. He's been 20 since I had him as a minor league coach in 1999. So Oscar Acosta really unprompted goes to the media and throws 20 year old Carlos Zambrano under the bus and basically accuses the guy of maybe he's not honest about how old he is. Come on, man. Also, uh, another name I, w- I forgot to mention, uh, Juan Cruz got eight starts at the end yeah. of the year and pitched pretty well. This was unfortunately couldn't ever win a game because uh, the Cubs never gave him any run support, but he pitched pretty well. And, and to go back to April of that year, you know, Jeff Facero was the guy out of the pen. And then Tom Gordon came in and took the reins. But Jeff Sapero had something like nine saves at the end of his career uh, in the bullpen uh, in April. So kind of really putting it up for the downstate Illinois guy. That's why it was so surprising, though, that yeah. this pitching coach is on the outs. Yeah. Uh, multiple players on the team said that they loved him. They loved working with him. Kerry Wood basically said that the guys are unclear what the reasoning was. Direct quote from KW, the pitching numbers speak for themselves. They say the firing has nothing to do with what the guy did on the field. If that's the case, then what's his job description? Make his pitchers perform better. That should be the end of it. Kerry Wood then said, there has to be some trust one back. I think Don Baylor has to earn that trust from wow. us. Don Baylor would be fired during the next season. So Kerry Wood, outspoken, not happy with what happened there. There was another incident involving Kerry Wood, Oscar Acosta, who there was some speculation there may be some anger management issues that were involved with him. He shut the baseball at a TV cameraman who was trying to film Kerry Wood doing a bullpen session. Remember, the bullpens used to be down the line. He thought the camera guy was too close. He takes a baseball. He throws it at the media member. That's stuff that you don't hear about. That stuff doesn't really happen. That wouldn't fly in Major League Baseball today. But there's something else that got between the Cubs pitching coach and the Cubs manager. And Jeremy, I want to know. I'm going to say a name, and I want to know if this does anything for you. Mac Newton. Mac Newton. That name sounds very familiar to me. And I'm, I'm kind of blanking on it, though. Ooh, Mac Newton, bring it, fill me in. So prior to the 2001 season, Don Baylor, who was in his second year with the Cubs, brought in this fitness guru named Mac Newton. And there was a famous quote that he gave to the Chicago media. He said, this guy helped me lose 20 pounds in one month. This is a middle-aged Don Baylor who says, this guy helped me lose 20 pounds in one month. This is what the Cubs need. So he's a fitness instructor. He's a jazzercise kind of guy. He shows up in spring training. And initially, the players on the team were kind of behind him. They liked the energy that he brought. He felt that they were getting them flexed out. The Cubs did avoid a lot of injuries in 2001. That's one of the things that they say, maybe he played a role in helping us. What began to happen, though, as the season went on, is this narrative formed that Mac Newton and Don Baylor have taken the Cubs from worst to first. Guys in that clubhouse, absolutely pissed off about that. Matt Stairs was pissed off. Kerry, what is the quote saying? How many base hits did Mac Newton have this season? Oh, God. None. Zero, right? But as the season went on, these guys didn't like the fact that this guy would fly in on the weekend. He had direct quotes of saying to the Cubs, you guys are losers. You haven't won a World Series in nearly 100 years. I'm a winner and I'm going to help you win. And there's guys like Kevin Tappany going, we have nothing to do with the Cubs sucking 80 years ago, 70 years ago, 60 years ago. So Don Baylor brings this guy in who he claims is the guy. It leads to issues in the clubhouse. The pitching coach is fighting with the manager about this jazzer says guy who's suddenly in the middle of, of you know, training regimens, getting the players going and the clubhouse falls apart. 
and I'm reading this and I'm reflecting back, man, I haven't heard that name Mac Newton in years. How dysfunctional were the Chicago Cubs in 2001? How dysfunctional was Major League Baseball? Nothing remotely close to that would fly today. You've got teams investing money and resources and personnel and like having mental health professionals with players and traveling with teams. Don Baylor pulls this jackass in who helps the guys stretch in spring training. And it maybe played a role in the Cubs missing the playoffs. That clubhouse fell apart as the season went on. And unfortunately the manager lost control of the ship as the year went on. Yeah. And you remember that's the era uh, when players could basically invite their own uh, trainers into the locker room, into the dugout, you know, Barry Bonds had his own guy following around with him. That had a lot of issues in the San Francisco uh, dug out, you know, people didn't like him having his own guy around. So that that's I, I that name does sound familiar. I, I don't remember all that story, but and I don't remember the Cubs fighting that much. Mm. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Dusty Baker and, and bringing in a, a guy, an outside guy, not not the Cubs of, you know, nowadays, as you said, everything is through the team and they have so many, uh, you know, different coaches for different things. And, and the Cubs have a, a guy they hired from the NFL who's like a, a you know, strength guy, an NFL strength guy that Cubs hired. So it's interesting. And, 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 but we're just talking about Oscar Acosta, just, just bringing him up. It reminds me of the fact that the Cubs drafted his uh, son. And yep. I want to say like 2007, the uh, year after he passed the year after he passed in, in a car accident. Um, and he, he pitched for the Cubs in the minor leagues for a good four or five years. Um, I think he was a, like a, this is back before, you know, the slots, rule and everything but he they drafted him out of high school i remember they signed him and i want to say he was probably like a 10th round pick or something um so you know the cubs kept in the family a little bit yeah and a nice gesture there and then a a player who ended up putting a couple years together um final quote from this story here uh the chicago tribune is an interesting write-up on it any cubs fan should read the story of mac newton this is cubs lore just again highlighting how dysfunctional the franchise used to be um but kevin tappany who in 37 years old at his best season in nearly a decade had this quote. I think the question for Don Baylor next spring is, can you admit to making the mistake here and bringing this guy in? Or are you so bullheaded that you're going to continue to force Newton on us knowing it's not working? So Tappany said that he said that to his manager, Don Baylor paid Mac Newton out of his own pocket. The guy was not on Cubs payroll. Don Baylor out of his own pocket, brought this guy in the final line of that story. As for Tappany, McPhail told him Monday the team would decline a six and a half million dollar option. <laughs> yeah, Taffney's not coming back next year. So Kevin Taffney's like, guys, get this bullshit taken care of. We're a good team. We can win games. McPhail goes, you're out of here. Taffney never pitches in the majors again. Newton is gone. Don Baylor doesn't make it through the next season. And then we get Dusty Baker in 2003, and we all know where that went. And, and McPhail had a McPhail had a long history with Kevin Daphne, you know, dating back to yeah. the Minnesota days. So that would obviously be a relationship the two of them uh, had for a long time that he was able to just, you know, get rid of him. Just imagine a pitching coach, Randall, in 2021, talking about a young phenom right-hander, Carlos Sobrano. Well, he's been 20 for the last three years. What a ridiculous thing, you know, to say to the media. It's just the game has changed so much. That 
would never happen today. You'd have a PR statement from the team the very next day. The pitching coach has been relieved of his duties. We wish him well. Bullpen coach, whomever, has been promoted to pitching coach. That would not fly. That would not fly at this point. So, Ronan, you could you could make a, a whole thing about how the pivotal moment in Cubs history was on the, the shoulders of this, this exercise guru, Mac Newton, because if Baylor doesn't bring him in, maybe Baylor doesn't get fired the next year and we don't end up with Dusty. And you can draw a direct line from Dusty to Lou to Quaddy and everything that's happened since. So you could consider that one of those pivotal moments in Cubs history. And of course, the pivotal moment in Cubs history is the manager bringing in this, this quack trainer and derailing the season. Well, he's still going. I guess he's in the northwest yeah. suburbs of Chicago. Uh, I saw he had a website. He's a director and chief instructor of Newton Fitness. And I'm not trying to, you know, insult you, Mac Newton. I, I just don't think you were the right guy. And the other thing in this, it's kind of sad. Don Baylor, no longer with us. Oscar, no longer with us. That team wasn't that long ago. And guys associated with that Cubs squad have moved on. So yeah. that, that's sad to me, reflecting on it. I'm certainly not trying to make light of people who, you know, can't defend their actions or speak to what happened back then. There are certainly people of an era, and if we ever get Bruce Miles, let's say, for example, to come in and maybe sit in for us on the show this winter, I want to ask him about that 2001 season. I want to ask him what he thinks about Mac Newton, because Mac Newton made a point to get himself in front of the media as much as possible. This was good business for Mac Newton. At the same time, the Cubs clubhouse was falling apart. So yeah. if you made it through all that, I hope it's a name that brings back memories. If you're not familiar with it, do a Google search, Chicago Cubs, Mac Newton, you're going to go, wow, what a crazy time this was for Cubs baseball and an unfortunate time. They couldn't put it together in 2001. They'd miss the playoffs. And, and just, just triggering in my head because I was talking about Andy McPhail and Tappany going back to Minnesota. It's, it's still kind of crazy to me that Randy Bush is still an assistant GM or especially <laughs> involved in the front office. He's been there forever. You know, he was obviously an Andy McPhail guy that was brought in from Minnesota. Um, so he's still around. Well, let's bring it home with this. We've been talking Chicago Bears football the last couple of shows. They get a win last weekend. Uh, the big story this week, how serious is the injury to Andy Dalton? He's out. Justin Fields getting the start this weekend. Randall, win or loss? Are the Bears going to do it this weekend? I am going to go win. I think Justin Ooh. Fields is going to come out. I think he's going to make a couple of very visible mistakes early on, and then I think he's going to settle in. I think he's going to play real well. You know what? I'm going to say it. I think he's going to dazzle. I think Justin Fields is going to dazzle. I think we're all going to come out of that game with the most optimism we've had as Bears fans in a number of years. And I think the Bears are going to win this one on the road. Randall, I hope you're right, Randall. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have that level of optimism. I think the Cleveland Browns are a really good football team and the game will be played in Cleveland. I think it's going to be difficult for Justin Fields in his first NFL start to be on the road. Uh, in a hostile environment like Cleveland against a really good team, really good edge rushers, Miles Garrett. Um, so I, I just don't think that the, unfortunately, I don't think this is a game the Bears win. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the Bears defense can put up, you know, they showed out against uh, Cincinnati last week. Uh, hopefully they can do the same against Baker. I, I think that I just think Cleveland's too good of a team on the road. I, I, I think Justin's going to struggle. He might have a couple decent throws here and there. I just think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be a good outcome. I disagree. The gods are punishing us. we got to see John Lester at Wrigley Field Saturday. We're going to get a bone tossed to us here on Sunday. He's going back to Ohio. 
Jeremy, okay. you're underestimating that. Back to the state where he made a name for himself as a star at Ohio State. I think the Bears are going to win this football game. I think he's going to be very productive. And how encouraging was it last week? This defense, like a polar opposite of what we saw week one, three consecutive plays where Bears get interceptions. So I think they're going to ride that hot streak. I think Justin Fields will certainly make some mistakes, but he's going to dazzle. There's going to be some magic in there, and he's going to do some good things in Cleveland. Rona, you said going to throw us a bone. You got the dog pound out there in Cleveland. That's just mm. a normal Sunday afternoon as bones being thrown around. They throw lots of things in Cleveland, yes. but it should be fun. You know, Browns are a competitive team, and that's something that you haven't been able to say a lot of over the years. Bears are going to do it, though. I think they're going to go in there. It's an early game on Sunday, and then that sets up some conference play for the Bears. The Lions are going to be in town a week after that. And that's when I thought Justin Fields was going to get the green light. You never want it to be because of an injury. The good news is for Andy Dalton, it's not going to be a season ender. You do need some depth at the quarterback position. There is the possibility that Justin Fields is going to struggle. So it's good to see that Dalton's healthy, but what a wonderful yeah, opportunity Foles. here. Nick Foles, baby, you know, bear spending, they spend the most money in the league on a third string quarterback. But you know, who's not on payroll? Kyle Fuller, Mac Newton. <laughs> no, so Mac Newton. I think the bears are going to be okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. It should be fun this weekend. Jeremy have a good time Saturday and let's get a W here for the bears on Sunday, but we'll be back next week. A lot more to chat about number 38, some interesting Jersey numbers that we're going to reflect on. If you've got thoughts for us again, please send us a tweet at BTYL podcast. What do you think about the Randy's? Is that the award that we're going to have? What topics do you want to the Ronies? Or the Ronies could be could the be Ronies. An it could be the could be the the Jeremys. Could it be the Jeremys. I think it's I, the Randys. It I does flow off the right. tongue the best. We'll see where it goes, but we'll look forward to having you next time for episode thirty-eight of Behind the Yellow Line. Let's go, Cubs! Upset the Cardinals this weekend. Yep. Yep.